<laughs> so intense. It's not many times I get too intense to open the show. But it's there. We've got to do this! <laughs> Swear to me! Swear to me! <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Brandy's Beach Team. We're at episode 52. 52! <laughs> um, oh, sorry, yours was better. <laughs> was it? Uh, did, I, did I nail it? I mean, The new 52, I... that was a good one. That was a good one. The new 52! <laughs> um, yeah, so welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us, whether it's on the Facebook live stream, if you're joining us on the YouTube stream, joining us on Twitter, if you're joining us on Instagram, or if you're joining us on an audio-only version, which you found, whether it's Spotify or Apple iTunes Store or whatever it is, we always appreciate it. Uh, we got a pretty exciting show for you guys today. Uh, we're going to be kicking it off talking about the uh, DC movie trailer that dropped yesterday, like completely out of left field to get us hyped up for the year. Uh, we'll be jumping into uh, episode seven of Peacemaker. Uh, and then our movie of the week in our Batman rewatch is Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, the reboot to save us, to save the franchise, because he's the hero that Batman fandom needed. Maybe not the one that they wanted right off the bat, but it is the one that they needed to save Joel it. Schumacher. Swear to me, Joel Schumacher. <laughs> so... I uh, can't wait to get to it. Uh, but with me, as always, is Jason. Jason, what's up, dude? How's it going? Good to be here. I'm very excited to watch Batman, be, uh, to talk Batman Begins. I love this movie so much. Me too, <laughs> it's man. amazing. And, uh, yeah, he's becoming a new regular on Granny's PhD, uh, Rick Sedres. Dude, what's up? Good what's up, guys? I'm glad on? to uh, not apologize for a movie this week. <laughs> no, not this week, man. Dude, you did your best. I was on the apology tour for almost a month. <laughs> you were. <laughs> I give you a lot of credit, man. You 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 tried. You tried with Batman Forever. You you did bring it, but you also were like, okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fine. Fair enough. I have to admit, I went to Batman Forever, and I was like, all right, we got three people who love this movie. You're going to be defending this movie. I got to bring my A game. And every point I made, each and every one of you three went, no, that's true, but I still like the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I I called Eddie, like, right after and told him the same exact thing. Listen, it, it, when when you make good points, you make good points. I mean, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. And then, you know, we, we 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 were yeah, it was a three on two. It was a slugfest there on on episode fifty. So, uh, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun though. Uh, but I like that one. As we often do, uh, Jason, Baywatch Nights on Hassel right. and the Hoff. What did you, what Guys, did you get this week? We're halfway through on Hassel and the Hoff because this was the season finale of Baywatch Nights called Heat. That's all it's called. And uh, so here's a summary that I wrote five minutes after watching this. (laughs) A beach rock band famous in the past. So this is like a surfer rock band from the 60s. Not the Beach Boys, but like those guys who played like like the the kind of surfer rock that shows up in a Tarantino movie, those guys. Um, so a bunch, so one of them is killed two weeks prior to the opening of this this show, and then uh, one of them is killed while setting up to do a concert on the beach where Mitch and uh, and Ellerby are like fawning over them because they're big fans. Because apparently Mitch lost his virginity to this band. 
Um, while they were playing, while they were playing, uh, not to the band. Although, I mean, whatever. It's like, not that there's anything wrong with season. Here's the thing. It's not, there's nothing wrong with it except where I know where this episode is going and you don't. So it was important that I made that clarification. Fair enough. So uh, they are looking for who the killer is and it turns out the killer is the daughter who is the spitting image of her mother who was a groupie in the 60s who, wait for it, was like raped by the entire band except for one guy. That's why I said, no, no, no. He didn't lose the virginity to them. And I don't know if it was like a gang rape thing or one of them raped her and the others watched. They weren't clear, but she was there to get revenge and kill everyone in the band who took took part in it. And she was like dating, quote unquote, the one guy in the band who had no idea that happened because he got drunk and passed out at this party that it happened in way before it happened. And like, he's got the worst, like, almost death because she takes him out on they they go out on his boat because he's like oh it's my girlfriend she wants to go sleep with me on a boat and uh she like knocks him out ties him up and just tosses him in the ocean to drown and mitch in the action saves him with his life lifeguard skills and that is only the a plot my friends there's a b plot the B plot is done. This. I, I really no. want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a Cinemax movie. It really Dude, does. Guys, I'm telling you guys, there are episodes of this show that are completely worth watching. Cinemax this movie was like Buff Bagwell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the B story, and this is actually the, the opening teaser is Donna DeErico is driving on a bridge and she's stopped by a bunch of obvious scam artists going, her boyfriend just jumped over the bridge. We need to use your cellular device because it was like the 90s. So they were these big like, you know, crane things. And she gets out and runs and goes, I'll save him. And she just dives into the ocean. And then they just go, oh, that was a great dive. We're stealing your car, peace. And they steal her car. And she's in the ocean for like 12 hours and she gets picked up by like DEA agents or federal agents who are going to have this like deal that they're undercover for and they get shot and she calls in the backup. You sure this wasn't like Thunder in Paradise or something? Like that, maybe? <laughs> I swear to you, this was episode 22 of, of Baywatch Nights called Heat. It was wow. again. You're right, though. As I'm explaining it, this is the plot to a Cinemax, a, a Cinemax movie, or like a like a soft core porn, like, yeah, uh, like nine nice. o'clock, ten o'clock at night. Wow. But yeah, so um, we're halfway through on the Hassle and a Half. I hear it gets weird next season. I'm hoping it gets super weird because um, that's why I'm here. I'm here to see the weirdness, guys. Oh, now it gets weird. Okay. <laughs> no, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, again. I heard they went up against like the Loch Ness monster or something, and I'm really hoping that that is true. I hope the Loch Ness monster is not taking on Bigfoot because, now, like, see, someone got also raped by a band. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the thing. This turn was crazy. It's like they, she's like this good time girl was hanging out and like pouring like drinks, and then all of a sudden it's like they lure her into this room, and then she just starts screaming, and I'm like. What am I watching? Oh my god! Wow. All right, we're gonna have to like uh, try to like come back from that one because that was, that was <laughs> wow. Um, 
All right. So then I guess we have done our business on hassling the Hoff to, to kick it off. Uh, but our first thing with no CW, since they're both on hiatus for two weeks, uh, maybe it's the Olympics. I don't know what the hell they're on hiatus, but who really cares? We'll get to them in a couple of weeks. Um, but we got a new trailer for DC movies. It was a like minute and change long trailer that dropped around noon yesterday, completely out of nowhere. Um, but we got to see a lot of cool shit, though. I mean, they, they pretty much prepped us. So there was a little uh, unseen footage from the Batman, which we're going to see the three of us are many more. We'll see in just a couple of weeks uh, as the first night previews, the Tuesday night showings, that one showing that all these theaters are having mm -hmm. is completely sold out. Warner Brothers announced that they all sold out. So the hype for this movie is pretty serious. And thanks um, for reminding me uh, last second. Yes, I'm sorry. I I, <laughs> yeah. I I should have been a better friend and told you a little bit sooner. I, the second I knew, you should have known right away. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, me, me, apparently, me and Eddie talk two, three times every day, but I yeah. only see his Facebook updates like once a week. <laughs> that, well, I, well, dude, I'm pouring all my like usual posts to like Randy's and to like Empire One Six One now, so <laughs> everyone else is probably like. This dude just like gave up on Facebook, I guess. Like that's, that's he's, he's gone. I guess he's over social media. Um, but yeah, so we got some stuff for the Batman. Not that we needed any more hype for that, but stuff that we got our first footage from Black Adam, a movie that I feel like The Rock was casted in like twenty years ago. <laughs> at, at some point, like I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. Uh, so we got our first footage from that. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, we got a little bit more footage from The Flash. Ezra's Miller, Ezra Miller's Flash with a voiceover by Michael Keaton, which ties into what we've been doing, mm -hmm. which is, it gave me goosebumps. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, say that, that to, nice. to hear that. Um, and then I, and then we also got a little bit of Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom, which we've gotten zero footage before. That. We just got a couple of stills. Not that there was a ton in this either. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll skip over the Batman because we've talked about the Batman and the Batman's there. And that's like the most frequent thing on our page now since... Spider-Man No Way Home has passed now. The hype has shifted to that. Uh, let's talk about Black Adam. Um, so what did you guys think of the uh, footage we got from that? I mean, we got to see Black Adam, got to see Dr. Fate, Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, which ties into Jason and I doing double, double deep, deep diving. Weird how these things seem to be working out, yep. how the timing of it goes. Um, we got to see Hawkman. Yeah, Hawkman looked awesome. I'm excited to see Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, but... Mm -hmm. Like, the real thing is, how awesome does The Rock look as Black Adam? I mean, in the robes and everything? Like, he's... Yeah. The thing is, like, we all have been talking about this casting forever because we're excited about it. There's so many casting things that happen that we just kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, that's interesting if it happens. But I think we're all... Like, we've all been excited about this. So to actually see that it's filmed, it's happening, you know, we get him in the Black Adam robe, it's, it's very exciting for me. Yeah. Uh, Rick, what do you think of the Black Adam stuff? Anything stand out specifically to you? So I got a lot of the excitement. First off, he looks amazing. Um, but one thing that's really interesting about the Black Adam stuff with me is that um, I'm super Marvel-centric in my comic book reading. Mm -hmm. Just like my hip-hop is very New York-centric. <laughs> so Black Adam's a completely new character to me. So when I saw this, I was like, wow. The Rock is dressed like Shazam. This must be really cool. So um, I'm purposefully not learning up on the character because I want to walk into the movie and let it all just be new to me. I'm sold. It's got The Rock and it's a superhero movie. Like, 
Yeah. What else more? What do more need? do I need? Yeah. But no, I, like Jason said, beautiful. Like the the visuals are just amazing. Yeah, it, it looks really cool from what they've done. I mean, Hawkman also looks pretty awesome. I mean, we've yeah. got a Hawkman in season one of Legends, which was like okay, was but so like. Good. He was cool enough for, for yeah, CW. That, he was cool. I'm not trying to shit on him now. Yeah, yeah. For, for like, what he was in, level. their budget. But yeah, when right. you see him open up his wings in this, like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Badass. Yeah, that was pretty dope. Uh, they also showed a clip, uh, well, two clips, really, him and like regular, and then of Adam Smasher, who was also in, who kind of is pretty much like think on terms of uh, Giant Man, when Ant Man mm. grows to like the big size and stuff. So that was kind of like. You got to see him like tearing through some shit. So like, briefly, that looks pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and then Pierce Brosnan as Doctor Fate, like his oh, voice and so everything good. was like there. And then uh, I just, I just think, I mean, it's Pierce Brosnan. I mean, and and guys, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan is still hot in with with like he's like sixty and graying, and and he's still hot. Like because we were just watching the the James Bond movies, and there's no denying his fucking hotness in that movie. But <laughs> watching him now, I'm like, oh my god, he aged well. Yeah, because I don't even know. I know he's in like some movie that's out right now, ironically, which I hadn't. I don't know. I saw him like a trailer of some sort. I wasn't really paying attention. I'm not gonna see it. But um, <laughs> it's some shit that I just wouldn't watch. But I'm like, oh shit, cool, Pierce Brosnan's there. We're gonna see him in a couple of months in Black Adam. Nice. That's dope. I'm seeing him in James Bond. Uh, but no, yeah, he he's, he has aged well because I kind of feel like I haven't seen him in much like at all recently. Now there's like this resurgence out of out of nowhere. So it's been a couple of straights of videos for him in the last couple of years. Yeah, and that's always that's always rough, you know. Yeah, that's like, never a good career move. Yeah. No, well, um, Bruce Willis made like eight of those this year. Yeah, yeah I feel Bruce, like him and Nick Cage just like pump those out like constantly. Easily, it's like Bruce Willis doesn't care. Bruce Willis cares about his paycheck and his lifestyle and the time he gets to lament the fact that he never got to be Bruno, the harmonica playing blues artist. That's what Bruce Willis cares about. These movies, we're all like, people are crapping on Bruce Willis. You know what Bruce Willis is saying? Uh -uh, let me endorse this check, motherfucker. He doesn't care. Right. Steve Martin went bluegrass and never came back. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There might be a lot of truth to what you just said. And if you remember in the 80s, like Bruce Willis was like all about promoting his Bruno character. There were HBO specials. There was all this craziness. And people went, no, nah, Bruce Willis, we love you in Die Hard. We don't care about your harmonica playing. And Bruce Willis, the human being, went, fine, I'll do it for the money. But fuck you all. I hate my fans. Yeah, because he even turned, he even like, don't get me started. But like after the, I mean, I love the first three Die Hards, like. Live free and die hard. I actually saw that much later because I just did, yeah. But the no. last one, oh my god, a, a good day to die hard is completely unwatchable. I haven't even tried. I told that story on one of these shows, but like I met him that night at the premiere. I'm so right. sorry. He must have been such a surly jerk. <laughs> no, no, I, no. Hold on. No, time out. He was actually okay. extremely nice to me and oh. Angie. All right. No, he I was. No, no, he was. Cool, cool. cool. And they were giving out posters, but it was for the first Die Hard. I'm like, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> and then we saw the movie, and we're like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I'm sure he left before it was like even over because he probably knew what the hell was coming. But yeah, it's it's bad. Like not even no. Rick gave me shit one time because when I saw the Wolverine, 
me and Angie also went to the premiere of that, and we met Hugh Jackman. I have pictures with Hugh Jackman. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no, it was. It was great, but Rick always gave me shit about it, though, because I think when he saw the movie, he's like, dude, you were on, like, cloud nine because you met Hugh Jackman. Who You didn't care what the movie and He, he could have <laughs> yeah. showed you anything. Uh, but, but I'm saying, as cool as it was, I still have my, my defense for the Wolverine, though, but I do admit that in the third act, it goes yeah. totally off the rails and became yeah. like a total shit show. Don't forget that I had seen the uh, Chinatown version of that movie. Oh, no, that was X-Men Origins Wolverine. All right. Was... No, everyone saw the Chinatown version of that shit. I still have that DVD. I just found it in my uh, my book of CDs. It's uh -huh. in there. So when we, get, when we get around to the X-Men movies, you should watch that version. <laughs> and, show. and you can talk about the perspective from that version. But come back and recap it. Exactly. Just tell us about that one. Um, but yeah, so the other movie that they've... Uh, I mean, the Aquaman stuff, I like the new suit that he has. It looks pretty cool. That looks cool. Greenish thing that's going on. But we didn't really get to see too much of that. I mean, it was him in his regular Aquaman armor and like the throne of Atlantis. And then it was just him kind of just chilling out by a beach. So... That's fine. Uh, but The Flash. So we were getting The Flash and we're getting two Batman in it, Ooh. which Jason kicked up some stuff last night on our Facebook page by deciding, hey, I'm going to start asking people who their favorite Batman is. I'm curious. <laughs> Notice, I, and look, I'm not putting, I didn't put Robert Pattinson in there just because we haven't seen him yet. Alex would have voted for Robert Pattinson already. I, I know. <laughs> and then I would have had to have said, hey, you haven't actually seen anything but a five-minute trailer, and I didn't want to do that. So it's true. It's true. They would have he would have gotten more votes than George Clooney and Val Kilmer. They still have zero. Well deserved. Well deserved. I'm, I'm, waiting. I'm waiting for the fan who's on that page who votes for one of them. And we just need to have a conversation because I, I want to know more. Here's um, the thing. Ginny didn't vote for them. Ginny voted for Michael Keaton, so no one's going to vote for one of them. Because if sure. anyone votes, like, like, remember when I did the one on Double O Deep Time for your yeah. favorite Bond movie, it's just, like from the Craig era? And she's like, yeah, Quantum of Solace. I'm like, what? Well, okay. <laughs> you knew she would do that. Come on. Like, I know, I know, I did. <laughs> even though she said on the show that's not the case. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're, we got the uh, we got the voiceover. We'll talk about that first. The voiceover of Michael Keaton because he's returning as Batman in the movie along with uh, Batfleck, who we really haven't seen anything from so far, but we do know he's in the movie. I mean, he's said so much, and everyone else has said this case. Um, but I guess just hearing the voice, did that get you guys kind of like hyped up? Even Because we've just been watching Batman, and now we know he's coming back. You want to? Anyone. Um, no, it's it's great having him back. Obviously, I was pumped, waiting to see what kind of role he's going to play in it. I hope mm -hmm. it's not like a five-minute in and out. I'm hoping that he actually, like, lays hands on the planet is actually involved. So that's one of the biggest things. It's just the excitement for, like, what's going to come. Don't let me down, you know? Yeah. Jason? For sure. I... Look, I got excited hearing his voice. He narrated that trailer. It's the best trailer the DCEU has ever put out, in my opinion, because he narrated it for no other reason. <laughs> I'm super excited to see him again. Um, but here's the thing, and this is my concern, right? Because I always have a concern. Yeah, um, this is promising, or this is at least making me believe that it's promising a kind of spider-man no way home multiverse experience but i guess like two batman that i love yeah and i'm worried that 
either they're overpromising or I'm interpreting that they're overpromising because I don't even think they are overpromising. I think they're kind of just saying, yeah, these guys are in it. And mm-hmm. but but me, I'm going like, oh, and it's like what Rick said, like, I hope he has hands on the plan. I'm like, if he just like shows up and goes, I'm Batman and leaves and that's it, I'm going to be really disappointed. Like, and I think it's because No Way Home set up some expectations. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I went into No Way Home going, yeah, Toby might have a cameo and there's no way Andrew Garfield is in it. And I walked out going, oh, my God, I got everything I wanted, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dude, we even got a Spider-Man that we hated going into it, but we walked out liking him. So I walked out going Andrew Garfield's one tremendous. of the best Spider-Man in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was, it, it was a turnaround. Um, I mean, well, ba- based on what we know so far, his line in it in the trailer that we're talking about, he'd say he's, it sounds like he's talking. He's obviously talking to Flash and telling mm-hmm. him, "Hey, you can jump around in any multiverse and stuff, but you care about saving this one." You know, kind of like asking a question about it. So I'm assuming they're in the DCU at that point. And, you know, he's there with him. I think another thing to tip off is that Michael Keaton, it's been confirmed he's going to be in Batgirl and the HBO Max Batgirl movie with J.K. Simmons's Commissioner Gordon. So, Which I'm cool with. No, I'm cool with it, too. I'm great with it. It just maybe you could read the tea leaves and be like, okay, so there's going to be a mishmash of this new DC universe that's just going to be like, fuck it, we cherry pick from everything we... We're gonna have him. We're gonna just mishmash it together, and whatever it is, it is, uh, and hopefully it works out because they know, like Ben, ben Affleck, he said repeatedly, this is his last appearance as Batman. Even though Ezra Miller, after that, a week or two later, was just like, eh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ezra Miller's like, I'm gonna get him, get him in my house. I'm gonna get him drunk. I'll get him to sign some things. It'll be fine. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, watch. You get Ben Affleck drunk. That's why he doesn't have a solo Batman movie right now. So. I mean, you one you of the end reasons... up with Geely. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, you don't need a Geely sequel. You make the wrong choices with that guy. Yeah, that's a good True. point. That's a very good point. Uh, but I think the takeaway, too, though, is Ezra Miller's Flash <laughs> costume is pretty... I mean, the new Flash costume looks pretty awesome. Because we get it with, like, lightning, uh, like, kind of looks like it's running through it. He has these mm-hmm. effects that drop down, and it looks like, you know... I guess if you're moving that quickly, it kind of would make sense that you would have some protecting your eyes in a way. So I thought that was pretty dope. Um, yeah, and at the end of it, it ends with like, you know, Supergirl in the background because we know that she's in it too, even though which Supergirl is, I think, the question. Some believe that it's a variation because there is a Supergirl who apparently was Lois and Clark's uh, daughter that became a Supergirl at one point in the really? comedy. No, not Cara Danvers that like we know. No, 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 no. I just I I didn't realize that there was a Supergirl that was the daughter of Supergirl. Yeah, she has like you yeah. know like uh, brunette hair and stuff like that, and that's what this Supergirl has. So either <clears throat> they just changed the look of her, or they decided, you know, whatever. You know, this is the Supergirl we're going with. Yeah. And also an alternate Flash because it looks like there's a second Ezra. There's a second. There is the second Ezra Miller in that shot too. So we know we're gonna get more than maybe one version of the Flash. He's the one who's believed to be wearing like the Batman suit with like the lightning bolt on it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I actually predict that even if this movie is terrible, I'm still going to like it. But that's my prediction. Time travel and shit. So this is like right up that, your alley. That's the thing. I love time. Like let, let's let's go through the things that I love: time travel, multiverse theory, Batman. Uh, like different characters and different incarnations from multiverses facing each other. Like this kind of has everything for this might have been written for me. So it doesn't matter how good it is. I'm probably going to really like it. 
No, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Rick, what'd you think of, of The Flash also? I love it. And I love everything that's going on with it. Trying to break down what the heck's going to go on, just like you said. <clears throat> Are we going to end up with one Batman? Is that one Batman going to be like, you know, new Batman? Is it going to yep. be Michael Keaton? Is it going to be Thomas Wayne, a whole other Batman we've never met? I don't, I, you know, like, I don't know. It could go anywhere. Uh, so a lot of excitement with, with what, what they're going to do with it. But what it really did, and I hate to steer it in this direction, is it reminded me how um, Batman, like, franchises pop up or get rebooted and all this stuff. And everybody has an it takes issue with, um, oh, my God, a new Batman. Am I going to like this Batman? And I feel like Spider-Man doesn't have that same stigma. Why do you guys think that is? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, that's a very good question. I mean, there are two. Well, I was thinking about this the other day. Not this part, but that, I didn't see your question coming, obviously. <laughs> um, no, I, I thought about something for a second. These two characters when you really look at it, are the most bankable box office film characters, Spider-Man and Batman, that, that we've ever seen. I mean, Superman, for what he is, though, but he's been they've been showing the Superman movies for a little while now, regardless mm -hmm. of whatever you think of Man of Steel. I mean, I know I like it. Jason's okay with it. Uh, Rick, I think you're okay with it, too, right? You don't hate it. You don't He's no it. Captain America. Fair enough. Um, th that's fine. Yeah, I agree and with that. I think that's where these two are. And it's true. That's why I guess we get the most reboots of these characters. But you're right, though. But I also think that this is where the Marvel and DC thing, I think, comes into play. Like the fan, the fans, more comic book fans there, there's the people in the Marvel camp and there's the people in the DC camp. And then there's people like, um, I know me and Jason are there. And I think, Rick, I think you've come to there now where it's like, we're not in either camp. Fun. We're just here to see cool comic book shit. Yeah, we, like, we like stuff from both of them. Right now, Even though, now, yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I think <laughs> yeah. the three of us would agree. Years that, later. <laughs> yeah, we've read more Marvel comics than we have DC comics. Jason, I know out of the three of us, you've read the most Batman comics. I've read my share, but not as much as you have. Yeah, well, I mean, that's literally the the only DC I've read, like okay. with very few exceptions. Like I've read some, like Red Sun, and I've read some. I really like the Elseworlds and the such, but yeah, yeah. I've read almost exclusively Batman in the DC because I'm with you guys. I'm a Marvel guy at heart, except Batman's my favorite. Yeah, and I've me and me have talked about it for years. I've said it for a while that I guess what as a Marvel fan that what draws me to Batman is I feel the character is written like a Marvel character. Mm -hmm. We can get into that a whole bunch, but like and Rick, I think we talked about it too. Like as I've explained to you why Spider-Man and Batman are my favorites. Because mm -hmm. I feel that more you know if Batman was thrown into the Marvel universe he would fit in seamlessly. And be like, all right, cool. Like, we, we can totally believe that. Um, 100%. But I guess the stigma to it, though, is I, I it, we can probably look back to Kilmer and Clooney. I, I didn't no, know. Uh, you think it was before but, that? No, but there was, I remember, not that I remember, but I did do stuff. some research into this. Yeah, a lot of people had issues with Keaton being batman like yeah. so i i mean i don't know maybe it's because here's my theory rick i think hold it's on, because no, hold on jason are you i'm sorry are you talking about just the casting of the, yeah oh, because i know keaton we talked about it keaton faced a lot of shit when he got casted as batman right because we said that the internet really existed like we know it to be now in 1989 right. 
people would have lost their minds even further sure. than known about it. For sure. Um, no, no, absolutely for yeah. sure. But that that's yeah. what Rick was saying, right? Yeah. Like the different casting of Batman. Like, am I gonna like this new Batman? Am I gonna appreciate okay, this okay. casting? Um, and I, I and I think part of it does have to do with the fact of Batman 66, because I think there were a lot of people who grew up and Adam West was their Batman, and there is no Spider-Man equivalent, really. I mean, there's Spider-Man from like the Hulk movies and stuff, but Nicholas and, and, Hammond, baby. <laughs> there you go, Nicholas Hammond. But I don't, I don't think there are many people going. Nicholas Hammond is the Spider-Man, and no one else can take his place. But I think there's such a nostalgia around um, the Adam West stuff because people grew up with it that there is more like question about will I like this next Batman as opposed to Spider-Man because there isn't the nostalgia from certain people's childhoods. I think that's what it is. I mean, that's fair. I guess I can see that because, yeah, because I, I mean, yeah, before Michael Keaton's Batman, I mean, yeah, my Batman as like a, a child, like as, you know, as when I'm watching him, I'm like super friends and shit like that. Hey, Court, what's up? Hey. <laughs> um, is that was, yeah, that was my live action Batman. That's the one I used to watch on reruns on Channel 11, like locally in New York and stuff. And I would see him and that was it. And then when Keaton came along, I mean, I guess I heard of the actor at that point, but I was also like nine, ten years old, so I wasn't going to flip out. I'm just like, oh, Batman movie, okay. Um, well, I mean, I knew him as Mr. Mom. I just didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't care that much about it. I was just like, oh, shit, like this Batman has like a black suit right. and like looks really cool, and I was all about the Batmobile and everything like that, so I didn't give a shit I was there. Um, but we've also had more Batman than we've had Spider-Man. Yes. Because we've had true. like technically four live action Spider-Man. We've got to count Nicholas Hammond. I'm gonna respect it because we should. We should I, count I, him, I, I sure. watched him as a child. Like if we want to really get into it, Batman 66 <laughs> and Nicholas Hammond, I, he was the only Spider-Man I knew live action. So that was it. Not that I had any real attachment to him, but that's all I saw. So I watched it and I was like, all right, cool. Um but yeah we've had it because we had we had uh West, we've had Keaton, we've had Clooney, we've had uh Kilmer. You know, and we've had Bale, we have Ben Affleck, and now we have Robert Pattinson. So there have been more. There's been the most, but I think it's turned into like a James Bond thing. We're just kind of like, all right, every so often we're going to get a new Batman. That's right. it. Just deal with it. Like, these guys can't play Batman forever. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended, I promise. <laughs> but they can't. <laughs> so that's what I, I guess that's what it is. But you're right, though. There, there's been a lot of castings that people have flipped out about. I mean, the Batman we're going to talk about today, I when I was head over heels doing cartwheels, like when I when I heard Christian Bale was cast as Batman. And I'm Rick, I'm pretty sure the same. I mean, we both love him. Like, Rick, uh, yeah, we were too. like, oh, great, American Psycho is going to be Batman. Yep. Yeah, like Pat Bateman with a Batman suit? I love this. Like, sign me the hell up. Um, I guess he was the only one recently that wasn't met with shit. Yeah, I think so. But, but also, he's like he was known to be a very serious, dramatic actor. And I think, yeah. like, mm -hmm. you know, Keaton was known mostly for comedy, and that's why people were not happy about that. And then I don't think people, like, pushed against Kilmer until they saw him, to be honest. I think, you know, people I think don't it was, like Kilmer. I think it was just because it wasn't Keaton. At that point, yeah, right. we were so wrapped up into Keaton, it was like, oh, fuck anybody else. Keaton's Batman now. Yeah, that's it. They had, like, yeah. people, like... If they didn't like him at the casting, it's because it wasn't Keaton. And then when you see the movie, it's like, yeah, well, he's not good. 
And then Clooney, I mean, you know, did anyone even care about Clooney at that point? Like, you know, I I think people have given up at the Batman franchise at that point would like to push back. So I think when Bale came around, I think it was like, okay, this is a guy who's known to do really dramatic, tense films. Like, this is a dramatic actor. And I think, you know, people kind of okay with it. And I think also because so many people hated or didn't like Batman and Robin. It was kind of like, okay, whatever. We're getting a fresh, serious take. We'll take it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that more. And well, I guess let's talk about Robert Pattinson real quick before we jump ahead, because we'll talk about more about Bale in a little while. Um, yeah. And Pattinson's thing was, oh, when you were a kid, you did the fucking Twilight movies. Oh, you're the sparkling vampire shit, which I, I admit, Angie got me. I had to watch those movies for Angie. I watched all the Twilight movies. You're a good man. I despise all of them with every fiber of my being because they <laughs> suck. They're they're I, terrible fucking films. I watched them all because I love everything vampire. So, <laughs> Rick, I give you more credit because you, you didn't even watch them for somebody. You literally did it on your own volition. Yes, not none of them in the movie theaters. All of them at home, but I watched so, them on my own. Have myself. you seen Queen of the Damned? Yes, of course. Uh, it's got some good scenes in it. I don't That's love it, love it, but it's got some good scenes in it. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so yeah, that's all. Like it was just like people were like met with that, but also, which we'll get into deeper next week when we talk about the Dark Knight. Like Heath Ledger was met with shit. It was like, oh, broke back Joker. It's like so he did one movie about this. That's it. He can't do anything else. And let me be honest. I want to be clear. I hated the fact that he was cast as a Joker before I seen him. I'm going to, I'm going to out myself. I was a dick about it. Like I, I didn't, I, I knew him from two things, 10 things I hate about you and Brokeback Mountain. Um, I actually think he's very good in Brokeback Mountain. I think that's a, a, actually a really good movie. Um, so I wasn't like going Brokeback Joker, but I, I also thought he was just like very, I, I didn't think he was the best part of that movie until I kind of, got to appreciate him more but i was more like oh fucking 10 things i hate about batman great that's (laughs) you know but but then i saw the movie and i was like these are my words i'm gonna put them on bread and little mayonnaise and i'm gonna eat them because i was wrong (laughs) and i think you want to do that and i think uh man i can't remember the last casting out of because i admittedly didn't have a problem with any of these castings like i know the world flipped out when affleck was cast as batman but i looked at him like now nah, he's got the like bone structure, the jaw. I could see yeah. that, and I think Ben Affleck in the right film can be. He is talented. He just was picking he's some shit talented. films for a while, and so. he was cast as a very specific Batman. And I yes. maybe he would not have. I don't think he would have worked as the Batman we get in the movie we're doing today. Mm-hmm. But I think the Batman he was cast as, he was phenomenal as. Yeah, like like you mentioned on on the Facebook group when you were talking to Bear. Was yeah, he's cast as pretty much the Dark Knight Returns Batman. Yeah, because that's where the inspiration comes from. And you're right, he like crushes that. Like he, I think he crushed it. I mean, we talked about it when we covered Batman versus Superman and and Justice League and Josh's League. Josh's League Justice. is where he 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 falls short, but not his fault. Um, all right, so I guess uh, that's pretty much it with the DC trailer reactions. Uh, and let's we got a DC loaded show for a little while so Ooh. let's jump into it. Uh, Wait, are we, we going to be accused of being DC shills cuz isn't that what happened when we first started like a year ago? We we were accused of being a DC podcast and then we were accused yes. of being a Marvel podcast and No, I was considered I was called a Marvel shill. Oh, you were called a Marvel shill. That's specifically. right. Specifically. 
But I'm like, you haven't been watching our show because we were called DC, a DC show for like months. Right. And now we're Marvel shows, I guess, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, we're listen, they're the ones pumping out the content at the moment. So that, that's, that's where we're going to. So we go where the content is. Um, so with Peacemaker, the, I, the opening scene to this week, this was such a crazy episode because... Like much of the show, though, but I feel like it it really encapsulated in this episode was the ups and downs from the opening scene where we get to see Peacemakers in a bathroom crying, and he's flashing back to yep. his brother, and they're and listening to Motley Crue together. Right, but it's not just any Motley Crue. It's Home Sweet Home which we saw him playing uh, on the piano the last episode or two episodes, whatever it was. Last episode. Last episode, when he was having, like, issues, when he was going, like, this is a beautiful moment. Like, the, um, it's a beautiful PTSD moment. Because, obviously, this man has PTSD from his horrible childhood. Yeah. And having him play that song to remind him of the last moment he spent with his brother and you only get that at the beginning of this, after the end of the last episode. My God, I love this show. This show is so good. Yeah, it's just the emotional roller coaster that you're on constantly is pretty wild because, yeah, we see him. He fight. They, we get to see him rocking out with his brother. And it's right, his home sweet home. Mm-hmm. And then the father, his father calls him in to fight. And they have this like fight club going on in the backyard and the father's making money off it and they're taking bets on it. And the kids are just like, oh, fuck it. We're just going to go ahead and, you know, and, and they're, fight. Because like, they're fight. kids. They don't yeah, know any don't better. Know any this better. is their norm, right? Their norm is, oh, shit, dad's going to call us out to fight in front of his, you know, people, uh, in front of his friends while he bets on us. This is cool. This is just what life is, you know? Like, And you even see in the, the, the scene before when they're in the bedroom – listening to home sweet home like there's no animosity they don't want to fight they love each no. other they're very close yeah no they're, they're having a great time and then he during the fight he just happens to hit him wrong he lands and it's a total accident even though the i mean fucking parents and everyone watching this shit happen is crazy but he has a seizure he hits him the wrong right. way it has a seizure you know the father clearly augie smith turns around and, and yells at him you know call it like you asshole you killed him or whatever and he's and then it flashes back and forth with Peacemaker crying in the bathroom. And I'll and I'll say something like then the intro kicks in, right? You know, with you know, do you want to taste yeah. it? So I'm like, Am I ready for this? Like yeah. I almost was like, should <laughs> yeah. I actually skip for once? Because I, I don't think I'm in a mental frame to actually like <laughs> smile and have fun and like laugh about it. But this is yeah. what the damn show does to you. It's, it's what it does, and it's this is like this is James Gunn's wheelhouse. Like he really knows how to like sucker punch you emotionally and then go, but it's fun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and like I, I actually did, I didn't skip the intro because I can't skip no, the intro. I can't. It's so fun, but I paused it. Like I, I had to take a minute to process oh. because, and I texted you right. Like I texted you twice, and I never text you through Peacemaker. I never, I try never to text you through things that I am seeing for the first time mm-hmm. that we have never discussed before, so we can keep it for the show. But I gave you two texts during Peacemaker, and the first was in that moment when I paused the the, the opening, and I was just like, I really fucking hate Peacemaker's father. I really, hate him. And he was just like, and you were like, 
it's a crazy episode. Keep watching, and then I t- and I'll, I'll when we get to it in the episode, I'll tell you what I'll tell everyone when I texted you again. Yeah, Rick, we were just talking. I know you got blipped for a second, but thankfully, yeah. Hulk snapped you back. Um, <laughs> we we were just saying like the opening scene of this week's episode of Peacemaker was so sad and jarring with his brother and everything like that. And we found out about the song and everything that he was playing last week. So he was obviously thinking about his brother. And then you get the opening. And we weren't ready for the opening then. It was like too happy, jolly, fun time. After we were just like, we just had our fucking guts ripped out. Did you have the same reaction? Then Rick is frozen. I I don't think uh, Mr. Freeze may have gotten him. (laughs) No, but that smile, though. That smile. So shit, the Joker's here. (laughs) (laughs) It's one or the other. Um all right, well, whatever. We got some technical difficulties over there. We'll, we'll, no, it, we'll, it happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on to the next episode, uh, scene where the next scene that's there is um, is Peacemaker, kind of current day, and, you know, he's looking around. He's getting his shit together. He's wiping away the tears because Vigilante's there and stuff. And um, what is Sorry, what's going on here with this? Has Rick become multiple man? I think he has. This is, this is very strange. What's going to happen is we're going to have, if you've ever seen the movie Cam, we're going to have like two versions of me pop up and carry two different conversations. <laughs> <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> They're going to be two, given two different opinions too. No, all good. Um, yeah, so then Peacemaker's there. He's wiping away his tears. He's trying to go ahead and, and get himself together. He's looking for Judo Master, who is missing at the moment, and um, eating Cheetos somewhere. Eating Cheetos somewhere, which, by the way, I, I'm going to admit, I stopped at the store on the way home b- before the show, and I went to grab some milk, and I was going to buy a bag of flaming hot Cheetos and just open the show <laughs> eating them out of nowhere, because that's apparently what this dude does every time you see him, he's just eating hate flaming hot Cheetos and just shows. It's always half full. So strange. Yes. Maybe that's part of his character. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's true. Um, but then he starts talking about it. Peacemaker's talking about his diary because they're questioning him about it. That's being read on TV and, <laughs> and all of that. His reactions are just like, I don't, no, I, I, don't, like I, wrote, I wrote a diary. I would, I would, what are you talking I, about? I, 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 I wouldn't know. keep a diary. I'd keep a journal. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, did you see that thing? I, I, it looks like it has like a collage on the outside, and you know, like it looks like it fell out of my vagina or whatever. <laughs> you're like, going on some crazy shit. He's like, but you know, if I wanted to keep a collage, you know, it'd be like more manly and like together and, and all this other stuff. <laughs> and Vigilante's like, yeah, if you would keep a collage, it'd be great, man. Like, dude, I could see you doing that. <laughs> it's such a crazy, crazy scene. And Economos thinks that he would definitely be keeping a diary. He's like, well, at first, maybe not so much. But, you know, after getting to know you, I can kind of see that. <laughs> Economos, really, by the way, sure kept funnier, the war journal. every episode. It's true. Punisher did keep a war journal. That he did. Found yes, out he did. <laughs> Sorry, Jason, you were saying Economos? No, Economos just gets funnier and funnier every episode. Like, he's like he's a guy that I can't, I just referred to in my head as Die Beard the first couple episodes. And yes. I'm like, no. Don't don't disrespect the man. You, you call him economist because I don't know. He's he's grown on me. He's just such a funny character, and his relationship with Peacemaker makes so much sense. Yeah, they're really great together since they've kind of like, even when they were at odds. Now that they've kind of smoothed things over, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So then they pretty much decide like, listen, we're gonna go take out the cow, and that's it. We got to end this shit because literally the entire police department everywhere 
is after Peacemaker. Like that's the plan to to take him down. Um, and then Harcourt shows up to take uh, to confront Adebayo about the diary. So she kind of sees that, and I think it's a really interesting scene um, where we we pretty much get Harcourt suspected Adebayo from the beginning, and then Adebayo is giving her reasoning, and then they get the big bomb dropped though. All right, so we're, we're back here. Uh, unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties on the other end, so we got cut off. So the show is split into two now this week. Um, two episodes! <laughs> just, I, I guess so. So just go ahead and, and check on it right now. Uh, let me go ahead and make sure we get that back out there. Um, so I, I guess what we could do is, yeah, we were talking about... Uh, Harcourt going ahead and, and uh, approaching Adebayo mm-hmm. about her uh, involvement and where she's at. So what were your thoughts on, on that scene? Because there was a lot to unpack there. There was. No, I thought it was super cool. Like, I, I love that Adebayo didn't try to lie. Like, she was just, yeah, this is what's going on. Like, I and I really like that. Like, because we've been going back and forth, like, is that a Bayou like a, a plant? Is she there being a double agent? Is she really as innocent yeah. as she seems? And and I think this scene really shows, yeah, she is. She, she's in over her head. Like she didn't want to do any of this. She was unemployed, and you're unemployed, and your mother says, Hey, I got a job for you. I can only trust you. And well, you know, when your mother is Amanda Waller, you don't see her like that. You know, you don't know she's an evil terrible person so you just kind of go with it so i i think that does put to rest our worries about if adebayo is or at least mine if adebayo is like still in league with amanda waller and spying on them or if she's genuine because i think this scene between her and hardcore shows that she is genuine because she even wins hardcore over yeah i agree with you i think i know i was speculating on on the character but yeah i'm pretty much on board with saying hey you know she's you know, she's definitely genuine the whole time, but I was just wondering because she's Amanda Waller's daughter. I think it spoke more also to Amanda Waller and how much we don't trust that character that anyone is that associated with her. For sure. Be, you know, could be there. Um, so, yeah, so I guess then too is we also see that they show up, right? The police go ahead and they show up and they, it's Mern's, Mern's apartment. Yep. And they go ahead, and the whole police is all butterflies now, as we learned last week. They storm in. The Harcourt and Adebayo are kind of hanging out around the corner because Mern gets on the CB radio and is pretty much like holding the button down so they can hear what's going on and telling them, listen, I loved having you on my team. Thank you so much. But, like, get the F out of here because, yep. like, he knows what's going to happen. And um, he knew it was going to happen, too, because he actually says, uh, you see the captain. That was our guy on the inside. Yeah. The way and because they made a comment about how you know weird the the butterfly brain is yeah. once it gets to a human. He goes, you know, the weird butterfly brain. You get their memories, so he knows exactly where we are. We got to get out of here. And I, I thought that was a cool like little moment. I thought it was really funny too when Marin pretty much says because Harcourt's like, did you know that that's Amanda Waller's daughter? And he's like, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, obviously. I yeah. did a background check if they're going to come join a black ops team. What the fuck was going on? I thought it was, that was really great. It's like, uh, no shit. Yeah, I thought that was awesome, too, because we all think, like, she's pulling one over on them all. And it's like, no, Mern's smart, man. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he did his research. I'm, and, look, Mern dies in this episode, and I, I, I'm really sad about that. Like, 
even though I like the actor, like I figured, okay, when the, when the human component, the actor was dead, I figured maybe the character of Mern could survive more, but they crushed the butterfly. It's really sad. And that was a really sad scene too, because yeah, they, they pretty much, um, <clears throat> officer uh, song goes ahead. Who is a butterfly now goes ahead. Who's goth goes ahead and puts a bunch of bullets right in his chest and pretty yeah. much kills the human version. The butterfly version comes out of the mouth and she goes and gets it and fucking crushes it. Yep. And then, Which I I think what's super interesting though is like her second in command is like you didn't have to do that. Yeah. And she was like he was a warrior. What else was I supposed to do? Because I think it's interesting because that shows that there are people under her or butterflies under her questioning her authority. Absolutely. And what she her response too is very interesting because she's like listen, that team is bullshit without him. Like, he was a threat to her plan. Yep. So, it's like, listen, we cut off the head, and then what did she say? Like, there's two rejects and these two assholes in costumes. Yeah. Like, they're, they're not, they ain't shit now. They, they lost their leader, which comes back around later on in the episode. Um, but yeah, so Hardcore and I buy you, though, go in there, and they find the butterfly version, that the butterfly that was in Mern, and it is a really sad scene where, you know, it's like reaching out and stuff, and like, just dies there. Yeah, it's super sad, and and that's the thing is like we've come. I've come to like Mern. Like I've yeah, come to like the. I like the actor a lot. I like the character a lot. And once you get the history of the butterfly in his head and why the butterfly is there, and the fact that the butterfly has just accepted the guilt of taking this human being's chance away to redeem, which we saw in like the last episode, like. So I I wasn't just sad that the actor was gone. I was sad that the character couldn't come back. You know. Yeah, me too. That that was really sad. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a touching moment. So again, it's back and forth with like we're getting some funny stuff, and then there's like the gut wrenching stuff. But then there's like the really the meat of the episode. Actually, before we even get to that, I I, I think let's let's go ahead and and talk about Judo Master. The Judo oh, Master yeah. pops up again. And he's in front of a kid, of course, like there's these two, he follows these two people, these two jerks who are like talking shit and they turn around and sitting in front of a random fucking like quickie mart type thing. Yep. was Judo Master eating Cheetos again. Eating, with his eating flaming hot Cheetos. Flaming hot Cheetos because apparently that's what he does. <laughs> and they're mocking him and stuff. And then eventually it cuts back later and they, he comes, they come out. He kicks the shit out of them. He does, and it was it was look, it was beautiful because they were getting his in his face like for being small. Like they were like, I don't know if he's just a small guy or if he has if he's got dwarfism, whatever. I don't know what his issue is. Uh, but like either way, it's like kind of being ableist, right? It's it's like you're getting in this guy's face who and it judo messers literally just standing there going, Cheetos, Cheetos, Cheetos. That's just what he does. That's it. And they come out, and he levels them in such a ridiculously fun way. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nuts. Yeah, he just beats the piss out of them. They call him like a leprechaun and right. making jokes about his suit and stuff. He beats the living piss out of them and takes their car and then and drives he, off. He puts the one guy's head through the 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 the, the window. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, he really. I mean, he just reinvigorates. He is judo master. Yeah, but then right after we finally takes a car and he ends up going, but he goes to Mern's apartment because he's still pissed that they keep fucking him up every time and knocking him out somewhere, so he keeps escaping. And then they just you know saw the butterfly die, 
And then they picked their head up, and Adebayo was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And his <laughs> judo master coming in to fight them. And he goes out and, and fights them. And I want to say, like, the, my takeaway from this scene it was a really good fight. Hardcore her, holds her own. She does. in combat with judo master. She does. And I actually, while I was watching this, I remembered uh, Vigilante's fight with judo master, where judo master just beat the shit out of him handily. And then yeah. remembering Vigilante's fight with the uh, with the, the inmates in the prison, when I went, wow, he can really hold his own, which meant Judo Master's really great. So how great does that make hardcore? Yeah, like, I, I didn't see that coming, but she her hand-to-hand combat skills were really on display during this whole scene. I think it was, it was pretty cool, but then she kind of, like, does, like, the Europa dope for a second, and Adebayo sneaks behind and pretty much goes in and, and buzzes him and, like, shocks him and knocks him out once again. Because that's, yeah. you know, what keeps happening to this guy. Um, and it's honestly the last we see of him. But I, I And then what goes on is then we cut back to Peacemaker jamming out and visualize they're jamming out with Economos. And they're in, a, they're in yet another van and on their way to take out the cow. Go ahead. And, and my question to you is, do you mean to tell me that there is a right and wrong time to rock out? Listen, I'm a peacemaker on this. <laughs> there ain't never a time, bad time to rock out. I'll say that. Yes. Although I do love that that comes back later when yeah. Vigilante says it. He goes, no, no, this. Peacemaker's this, this. like, this is the wrong time to rock out. <laughs> it's it's great. And, and, and Economos brings it back later on in the episode, too. Like, it's a it's a through line through this. It's um, Yeah, it's, it's a great through line. <laughs> they're jamming out and shit like that, but then it cuts to you find out they're being chased, or they don't know they're being chased, but they're in the van, and then White Dragon is there with his crew, and they show they takes out the van, and they're you know they're ambushed, they run into the woods, and then we find out they're being tracked by his helmet, like the helmets that is he made for his son, which makes sense. And I thought it was a really funny moment because once Peacemaker realizes this, he takes off the helmet, ties it to a raccoon That's to kind of like di- divert them. And But then we don't see any of that, though, because it cuts back to Peacemaker with all these slashes across his face. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he tells Economos, like, dude, man, it, raccoons are so hardcore. And Economos, matter of fact, he's like, well, kind of what I envisioned what would happen if one tried to put a helmet onto a wild raccoon. I mean, uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> So funny. Um, and also in that escape, Vigilante throws a fucking grenade That's an right insane, at White Dragon. That's an insane moment. I actually had to rewind it because I thought I missaw it. Because Vigilante literally goes, yeah, eat like whatever his line is, but like eat grenade or whatever. And he's just he doesn't throw it because White Dragon is literally a couple of feet in front of him. He just tosses it. And it explodes. White Dragon is thrown back and he's gone. But then it, like, it pans out and he's behind this tree wounded. Like Vigilante knew exactly what was going to happen. He is insane. Like he, he threw that grenade insane. absolutely knowing it was going to hurt him as much as it was going to hurt White Dragon. And he did not care. No, he didn't. You see he's got like this like scars all over him and blood and stuff like that. But then once everyone goes to chase Peacemaker and Economos, and eagerly, because he's, yeah, of course, going with them. He is. Um, he steals one of the cars of the, you know, White Dragon crew. 
and he's driving off and he ends up like, oh, his injuries catch up to him. He pulls off, kind of like swerves off to the side. But they round about and catch him and like, they catch up with him eventually. That's when he's, you know, when he starts trying to rock out and says, he tells him, you know, now is not the right time to rock out. But then he's also explains to Vigilante, like, dude, this is how we get in tracked. And we find out Vigilante, as he didn't know any better, he, he takes a bunch <clears throat> of the helmets. I, I agree with Vigilante here. He yes. doesn't know that they're being tracked. And and as soon as he, like, he does it's not like he's even being an idiot about it. Like, no. a peacemaker says, yeah, it was like I, I think he even alludes to it. He doesn't even say it's the helmets. He just kind of alludes to it, and Vigilante catches on. He goes, "Ah, oh, shit, dude!" Like, and and then, the he, then he's they're in the trunk, and there's just a bag of them. And he's like, "I'm sorry, I thought they were valuable. I thought you needed them." And it's like, that's fair. You can't blame Vigilante for this. Yeah, I could, I could, I could totally see that. But Peacemaker doesn't give him too much shit about it. No, nah, like, he doesn't. Oh, shit, like I, I get it. Um. But then that goes ahead and leads to the big showdown that we have in this episode where uh, Peacemaker is, you know, he takes on the White Dragon crew along with, uh, you know, Vigilante and Economos. And and Eagly. And unfortunately, White Dragon punches Eagly. I can't believe, like, did you see that coming? Like, that Eagle dive-bombed him. And that was like that was like the uncomedic version of the Mel Gibson, uh, the Mel, the Mel Brooks movie, where the guy, the the horse gets punched in the face. Yeah, it, right. Blazing saddles, yeah. like yeah. he punches Eagly in the face as it dive bombs him. I'm like, no, not Eagly. And that's what sets off Peacemaker to finally yes. go after him. And Peacemaker snaps because he says, and I wrote this down. I've got three notes on this episode. This is the second one. Eagly. The only one besides Keith who ever loved me for real. Yeah. Right? So, And Keith is his brother. And so you really get a sense of, like, his affinity for Eagly is, like, he has poured all of his emotions for his brother, who he blames himself for killing, into this eagle, right? Like, And so, like, a White Dragon attacking Eagly for him is a retread of the, the trauma of of White Dragon forcing them to fight and him accidentally killing his brother. It's a brilliant mo- moment. Yeah, no, that's actually a really, really excellent view of it because it's true. Like, that's really what it embodies to him. And he's Peacemaker finally snaps. They get into some uh, hand-to-hand combat right there. And then White Dragon has Peacemaker down for a second. And he starts unloading on him, like, just yelling. Yeah. Like, we learn a lot about He calls him unclean. Tells him he's listening to this. I knew it when you were listening to this devil music. Uh, you slept with a polluted blood. So I, I know for his in his mind, this is like anyone who's not you know right. pretty much white for him. Right. And men. He also throws that in there. Which yes. I saw some site like, oh, Peacemaker has been, um, you know, outed as like a bisexual character. Whatever. I'm like. Maybe, but also maybe he was in prison, and that's what he was. Oh, was. Well, well, there was also the scene where him and Vigilante and a woman yes! had sex, right? Yes. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, like, play oh. between him and Vigilante. I don't know. Like, again, for, for me, it's, like, whatever. But I just think it was, like, some people were kind of, like, grabbing it and running with it for, like, a headline. Like, right. yes, oh, this yeah, is yeah. it. I'm like... You're right. We finally got our first buy. Yeah. Is he a hero or villain? We don't know. But it's, like... 
Yeah, it's it's not part of the story. Like it's it's yeah. there. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Does you know? But it's it's not something that should be the the headline. No, that's it's called clickbait. That's what that is. I mean, not that anyone <laughs> gives a shit. But I was just like, oh, well, wait a second. He was also in prison, and you know, from over here, you know, stuff happens. I mean, whatever. Um, but yeah, that's what it was. But either way, though, that was part of his rage towards his son. Anything he was unloading on everything. And Vigilante, uh, Vigilante is the one who kind of said, he jumps on White Dragon and is like, oh, this whole, of course, he has to explain. There's holes in the armor. There's chicks in it. And he yes. starts like stabbing him. Because <laughs> you know he eyed that shit when he was in his like in a room a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And then Peacemaker gets a gun eventually. He has it on on White Dragon. He And he's just telling him, like, dude, you're, you know, I own you. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. You don't have the balls to do it and all this other shit. He fucking shoots him right in the head. And that was the second text you got from me. I am so gratified that Peacemaker shot his father in the head because it was, I loved it. I loved yeah. watching that because I hated his father and, and he's lacing into him and, and he's like, he's using the language of an abuser, right? I own you. Yeah. It doesn't matter. This and that. You don't have the balls to shoot. Bang. Done. And he actually does have that moment too before that where he unloads on him. Like, I didn't kill my brother. You killed my brother. You blame me. Like, he has this moment of like all of this trauma that he's been blaming himself for and holding to himself because his father, like, has put that on him and he unleashes it on his father where it belongs. And that's why, like, when he shoots him in the head, it's like, and that's definitive. He's not coming back. Like, if. But the logistics of this show, White Dragon's dead. And it was a great moment. It was a great way to do it. It was like a cathartic peacemaker character moment for me. Yeah, and and his reaction, too, right after that is he breaks down and cries. Yes. Immediately. And that's the beautiful thing, too. It's not like, I've killed him, I'm big, I'm strong, whatever. It's like, I just killed my dad. You know, like, he, he. it's such a, an emotional emotionally complex moment and again kudos for john cena who can pull this off i didn't actually realize i didn't give him credit for the acting ability he obviously has yeah no he definitely showed off his chops and i think this whole series has been john cena showing his best work probably to date in his professional career i mean whether it be wrestling acting or you know or any kind of movies or tv acting he's done he's really Kind of stepped up to a next level with this character with the show. Uh, yeah. But not to be lost in all of this is a cop taking a machine gun and mowing down the rest of the crew that's there. Yes. And I I was watching this whole episode going, who am I going to give VIP for this week? I got to give VIP to someone because there were so many like cool moments like uh, Judo Master kick, kicking the hell out of those bigots and. Um, just sort of hardcore and on a bayou going at it. Like, I was like, who am I going to give VIP? It's Economos because the motherfucker literally gets up with a semi-automatic machine gun and kills a row of white supremacists. He mows them down, man. Like it's it's pretty wild. It's great. Yeah, it it, awesome moment altogether. I mean, that was like the most powerful scene of the entire episode, and it was a couple. It's still not the last one we got into. so then, yeah, there's the – and then Hardcore and Adebayu cuts back to them, and they have a moment of trust where they build with each other. And Adebayu's like, listen, I don't belong here. I'm not cut out for this shit. I'm trying to go home. That's it. Get me out of here. 
And Harcourt's like, you know some you are actually really good at this. It would be a shame to lose you on the team. And they have like a, a very strong bonding moment there that I thought was really cool. That was nice. Um, but then eagerly being injured, Peacemaker, of course, and, and Vigilante, they got to get him to uh, a veterinarian in his office, which they kind of commandeer. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty wild how that just kind of like happens. Yeah. It's insane. And what's insane about it is, so they go in and they, they, they commandeer it and you got a vet and two nurses, right? And the... This really shows everything you need to know about Vigilante because after, you know, all the all said and done, Vigilante's like, all right, so we had to kill them, right? And everyone is like, no, no, why do we have to kill this veterinarian and his nurses? Well, because he's they saw me without my mask on. I mean, you know, we have to do that. And, like, I think Economo says, like, you're a busboy for something. He's like, well, now we definitely have to kill them because they know my face and they know my job. And they're like, all right, we're not going to kill them. We're just going to tie them up. <laughs> Vigilante's like, all right, but we got to use, like, the nylon tape because we don't really want to upset their skin. <laughs> and they're like, wait, wait a minute. You have no problem killing them in cold blood, but if we're going to let them live, you care about their skin? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> his, his insanity just keeps going further and further. And he's a scene. Dude, for me, he's a scene stealer. He absolutely Vigilante is, a scene is crazy, <laughs> and he just steals like a lot of scenes that he's in. But again, it's still with the complex back and forth. We're having fun, big moment because right after that, there's a flashback to uh, well, Peacemaker's with Eagly, and then he's like praying to God, like, please don't let anything yeah. happen to him and stuff. He's like pouring it out there because he's still having like an emotional time. And and uh, Adabai was watching this because they could catch up with him. And she, and then it flashes back where it's like she didn't believe that he could hug an eagle, and Peacemaker was so confidently yes. saying that, and it hugs and him, hugs him again, and she's like stunned, like holy shit! <laughs> that was a great callback to that first episode. It was yeah. a fantastic callback because I think like the first time we saw that first episode, we were all like, I think Tim actually posted like it, it's, it's watching this feels like getting a hug from an eagle. Right, and I think that yeah. was the thing that stuck out from a, for a lot of us was like, wait, did that eagle give him a hug? And the it was a big thing in the episode because no one believed him, and the fact that it comes back here and it's and out of bio is like, wait a minute, like I don't know, it was a great callback. <laughs> no, I, I agree, and it was just it, it was it was a powerful moment though because then he like sees him, and then of course we go back to having fun where he takes his cell phone and starts snapping selfies because he wants evidence that this yes. actually happens. Peacemaker needs that. I thought that was great. And Adebayu calls her girlfriend later and is explaining this incredible moment mm -hmm. of like, dude, I saw this guy hug an eagle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I also love that he that Peacemaker has that moment like I should have I should have put you in a better place. I shouldn't have had you when I was in prison, not just in my yes. father's like like garage. Like it was, it was everything's coming up eagerly. It was a really nice moment. Yeah, and, and there's more, like, Peacemaker's going off on some tangent again because he's like, yeah, I should have, maybe, or maybe I should have, instead of my father, I should have left you with, like, some random girl who kind of wanted to get with me, but I didn't really want to have to uh, get with her yeah. just while I was there. But <laughs> maybe, right. I maybe I could have slept with her when I got out of prison. Maybe not. I don't know. It would have been, been such a big thing. I mean, I've been thing. in prison for a while. <laughs> the fact that this is going through this dude's head is just, like, it, it's hilarious to me. So it's a um, did you notice again on the side of the truck that they take from the veterinarian's office? 
what it was called? No, pause, I didn't clock it. Pause a moment. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch all the trucks that they drive because there's an ongoing like gag line with this whole thing. It's That's pretty great. great. That's great. Um, yeah. So the team goes ahead and um, you know, wow, what the heck is this? Uh, so the team goes ahead and picks up um, you know, and, well, no, sorry, they they go ahead and they leave the place, and they're like, all right, you know, we're gonna go ahead and. We're gonna name Harcourt as the leader of it because yeah, they had this thought, whole conversation. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it was a pretty big moment because they need a new leader, and that's what calls back to what they were saying, you know, earlier was just like, you know, we don't have their leader now. And they're all about it and they're jolly. And then the the veterinarians have one of them has a gun, it's like, Yeah, we're gonna go too, and peacemakers like that, you guys it. just get killed. <laughs> I love like, calm down with that. That was my third note. The veterinarian and the nurses are in because they were just like, "Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're in. We're gonna do this." It's <laughs> great, but they're off. They're off to go kill the cow, and that's pretty much what it is. And that's where we get Peacemaker is like he has this moment with Adebayo talking to her, and she's apologizing. He's like, "You know, fuck this. Like, I don't have to see your stupid face again." Let's just get this mission over with, and that's it. So his moment—I can see why he's heard about it. Yeah, but. for sure. I mean, she said she literally sets him up. If we didn't go over it, like yeah. what that does is literally sets him up to be this crazy lone gunman to take the heat for every murder of like the person that the uh, the butterfly had taken over. So they like Amanda Waller's plan was to kill all of the people who had butterflies in them. And instead of like doing anything nice and, and like having peacemaker part of the team, they were going to pin it all on him and portray him as a lone gunman. So he goes back to prison. Like it, it's, it's really messed up. Yeah. He was going to be the Patsy for the entire fucking mission that they were on. And it, it's it's nuts. Um, I'm curious to see if Peacemaker has his moment with Amanda Waller either next in a finale or another time. I'd like I, I I'd like that. I love Amanda Waller's character, but I also want to see Peacemaker sort of give her her comeuppance. Yeah, that, 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 I'm just curious to know when that's going to happen because it has to happen at some point for me. It has to. Um, but yeah, but, but while they're doing that too, uh, in that scene where Vigilante's like, "Yeah, we're going to be like Butch Cassidy." And the Sundance Kid, and then Connor was like, uh, "Dude, they got slaughtered at the end of that." <laughs> and he's like, "No," and he's like, "No, yes, they do." Like, there's a slow motion thing. It goes well, so because it's a slow motion like shootout, that means that they ended. It could have been like happily ever after and stuff like that. <laughs> Another funny moment, and then when they're just like, "Who's in?" and Vigilante yells out, "Yeah, hashtag me too." <laughs> yeah. Yes. Again, this fucking guy's insane. <laughs> With anything he said. Um, and again, a show stealer. Like, he's a, yeah. an absolute scene stealer. Yeah, so then we actually get to see the cow. Because it cuts to the other team that's like, and it's this huge, not, I mean, Angie actually asks me, she goes, so that was the cow? I'm like, I wasn't expecting, like, a farm animal with black and white spotted farm animal. It was <laughs> weird. It was, it was weird. weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, again, it seemed like it was something out of James Gunn's like Slither or something like right. that. Like That's where this came from. And it's this massive monster alien thing. I was talking about this with a student yesterday after class who um, is a big fan of comic book stuff. And 
we were both questioning, like, how did the butterflies get this massive cow thing to Earth? Like, we saw their technology to, like, you know, space travel. It's these small, like, uh, you know, individual size spaceships. How the hell did they get this alien cow thing to Earth? Well, I think they were also talking about, they do mention transferring it around through like this teleportation device. Oh, okay. So or something like that. They do yeah, they do mention that. something like that. Okay. Like you like say for the most part hand wave, but they do mention it in a couple yeah. of lines. Like I okay. mean, again, I don't need to see it. But as long fine. as it's mentioned, I just I didn't I didn't yeah. pick up on it. So the post so that sets up the finale, but we also got a post credit scene which was pretty nuts. With Captain Locke again explaining instructions on how to bathe at a press conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, so weird. You start from like the bottom and work your way up and you stay in the middle and you kind of then you move side to side and, and everything and like and he's just mentioning it so matter of factly and eventually uh golf shuts it down he's like all right listen that's enough yeah. i don't know how the hell it even got into this but it's really really funny shit right there so yeah so that sets us up for the finale next week man yeah, i mean i'm, I'm gonna excited. really miss this show i'm gonna miss it and really miss this show after this week I am too. And I actually, because I follow James Gunn on Twitter, and exactly. someone uh, like sort of added him like, oh God, I'm, I'm really, I can't believe I'm going to have to wait a year. Please don't make us wait a year for the next like eight episodes of this. And his response is, you're worried about just waiting one year? Like, so <laughs> we don't yeah. know when the next season is coming, if it's coming, like, but I, I, I'm going to miss it too. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, no, me too, man. I, I really fell in love with the show. Like, really, really look forward to it every week, man. And me too. And you know, we'll, we'll see. Hashtag me too. <laughs> Hashtag me too. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so that pretty much brings us to our movie of the week. If yeah, you've been keeping up with us, we've been we'll be watching all the Batman films, starting with Batman sixty six. We oh, over a month ago now. Um, yep. And leading up to the Batman, and we're going to be co- even post the Batman, we're going to be covering some spinoffs after that. Yes, Jason, there's no escaping it. <laughs> we will be covering then Joker. Yes, which I I'm excited about that. I love that movie. And we're going to be covering Catwoman at that point. And Rick, you better get your goddamn internet fixed because you're the reason we're covering Catwoman, and you are on that show, my friend. Yes, there's no there's no getting around. There's no getting away with that one. So. Um, all right, so let's talk about it, man. So this is uh, Christopher Nolan's reboot of the Batman franchise following Batman and Robin, which financially and everywhere else just kind Artistically of Artistically like, and um, ethically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any way you can think of really put the franchise in the shit. Yeah. And Warner Brothers took some time off. Not that long. It, I don't even think it, it was less than 10 years it was gone for. Yeah, I think, yeah, right? It was like, what, 97, 98, 99? What was Batman and Robin? Batman and Robin was uh, 99. Okay, and I think this was 2006. Yeah, this was 2005 or 2006. 2005, okay. Yeah, one or the other. Even earlier, yeah. Yeah, so they pretty much found it. But Christopher Nolan was tapped to direct a reboot of the Batman franchise, and this is when we get... Uh, Christian Bale in the role, and I mentioned earlier in the other part of episode 52 of Granny's PhD um, <laughs> that we, I was super excited 
The second I heard Christopher Nolan was directing, I'm all in. Don't hear Christian Bale is going to play Bruce Wayne in Batman. I loved American Psycho at that point. I didn't know him from that much, but that was mainly what I knew him from. And I just pictured unhinged guy in a suit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I, I can see that more of a take on Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I mean, I didn't picture him like with like singing Susudio or something like that or dancing to, to, that, to that extent. But Susudio. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but. No, no, my see. So my thing with this movie was, um, I did not realize Christopher Nolan directed it when it first came out because I did. I I was a Nolan fan ever since Memento. I saw Memento six times in the theater within like the span of three weeks because I just love that movie so much. And then I knew Christian Bale from American Psycho, which I liked him in, but none of that was enough to make me go. Well, I'm going to go see this in the theater because I remembered Batman and Robin. And Batman mm-hmm. and Robin, as I've said on this this podcast before, um, made me stop wanting to see Batman movies in the theater. It made me go, you know what? I, Yeah, they're not good. I, maybe I'll just watch them on video. And the reason I, the only reason I saw this movie in the theater, which ke- keeps my streak alive of seeing every Batman movie in the theater that came out in my lifetime, is because uh, I have my younger brother... Who was a kid at the point that point wanted to see this in the theater because he liked Batman as I did, and I wanted to spend time with him. So I said, "All right, I'll take you to go see this Batman movie." And I completely expected to hate it, and I walked out loving it. And he didn't like it because he, he was a kid. He was like, yeah. "Well, he was a kid, you know." And yeah. He was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that that was fine, but you know, what, what about the Tim Burton stuff?" And I'm like, "But." But this, did you see this? This was amazing. So, like, I actually avoided seeing this in the theater, saw it accidentally, and it completely reinvigorated my love for the Batman movies. Nice. Nice. Um, I guess I was on board since day one when I heard that. Again, I was on board with Christian Bale because he is one of my favorite actors, even still to this day. Great Uh, actor. Yeah, he was more of the selling point, too, and then also reading up on, like, what the idea was going to be like what the portrayal was going to go with. And then Liam Neeson was cast in the movie and they were very vague about who he was playing. It was Dukar mm-hmm. or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. But I'm just like wondering where it is. And then Cillian Murphy was cast in the movie. And I'm like, and I hated him from 28 Days Later. I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, he's this? in 28 Days Later? He's the star of it. Oh, I've never seen it. Good. <laughs> you've, you've, you've made... You've made me promise to never see those movies. Yes, and I will never watch Keepers, Creepers 2, 1, 2, 3, or whatever the hell they ended at. That's right. We have a pact. We, we do have a pact. Um, so, yeah, so then he was cast, but I was he was Jonathan Crane, and I'm like, all right, so he's Scarecrow. Okay, he's going to be the villain of the movie. And then, you know, we find out eventually that, you know, Dukar is Ra's al Ghul, Rachel Ghul, Jason. What 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 is your way for? I, I say race, race okay. Ghoul. That's, that's Ghoul. A, from what I understand. That's the pronunciation, but it's pronounced differently. And as we were talking about offline, it's pronounced differently in different incarnations. Yeah. So in this, it was in this movie, it was Razagul. So that's what they do. We find out that he's there. Um, like I guess another thing to understand about the, this, which is later dubbed the Dark Knight trilogy, and this is the beginning of it, is that Christopher Nolan. Is directing a film, which was written by David S. Goyer, who wrote Blade and wrote and directed Blade Trinity. 
like how does that happen? I don't know. Like, how does someone write Blade Trinity and then go on to write this? I don't know, because he wrote he also wrote The Dark Knight as well. I mean, that's amazing to me. Like, yes. Because these movies are well written. It's not just that they're well directed and well acted. They're well written for what they are. They're Batman movies. You're not expecting yeah. Hamlet monologues, but for what it's what it is, it's a perfectly written movie. He also now forget he also wrote Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's not forget these things. These are movies we have covered already by now. Oh, I, I forgot he was. Oh my god, I forgot he wrote that. Uh huh. Which, in all fairness, was a directed direct to TV movie. It was never intended to be a theatrical release. Yeah, but still, he no, wrote it. Amazing, <laughs> completely wow. amazing to me. All right. Um, but the idea, though, is that this fran this franchise is set up in, or this trilogy is set up in a real world setting. Though. Yeah. There's no Superman that exists or anything like that in its own thing. Yeah, it's a, there's nothing supernatural. No, there isn't. And they stick through that throughout this entire yeah. franchise, which later on people had some took some issue with once we get there. But they also address that when they talk about Ra's al Ghul. Because even Ra's al Ghul literally talks about, you know, it's a myth. Like, you know, his method's supernatural and things right. like that. Joking on it, when he literally just pawns somebody off as Ra's al Ghul to people, but he really is. Which I love that because we know, like, I, I love watching all three of these movies to get um, Christopher Nolan's real life interpretation of what this comic book character would be. Because we know Ra's al Ghul as the guy with the Lazarus pit. He lives forever. He has been the head of a criminal organization for a thousand years because that's when he found the Lazarus pit. And here it's not that. It's I employ illusion and fear. and give the appearance that I live forever, even that I don't. And I think, I don't know. I, I think it's a brilliant stroke for Christopher Nolan to sort of take that approach to make this a more realistic film. Like this isn't a comic book movie. This is a legitimate film starring Batman. Yeah. Batman in a, in a real world setting. Yeah, um, for sure. So the title of this movie is literal. Batman begins. This is the only Batman origin story we've ever gotten to this date. I mean, you can say what you want about Tim about Batman 89, but this really yeah. digs into an origin story for Batman. Um and it it really hits the ground running. Like I don't I actually remembered it, you know, kind of picking up pace for a while, but when I turned this on the other day for the rewatch, I'm like, holy shit, this movie really did hit the ground immediately. Um so I guess let's go by character. Let's start off with Batman, Bruce Wayne, Christian Bale's interpretation. Um, I love it. I love it. I think when you play, if, if you're going to play Batman, you are literally playing three different roles. You're playing Batman. You're playing Bruce Wayne pretending to be a human being. Mm -hmm. And you're playing Bruce Wayne as Batman. It's a three different like role thing. And I think Christian Bale hits it. Like you like he perfects it. Like he gets a lot of shit for the voice and you know what? I don't care about that. I uh, like w this is the first movie to posit 
that he has a different voice. He uses a different voice. Now, you know, in the later ones, we've gotten the voice box or whatever. Yeah, that sounds better. That's cool. But that's not what we had before. The only person before him to ever do the two different voices to distinguish character was Kevin Conroy, right? So he's doing what Kevin Conroy was doing, but live action. And I think that's really important because there's a big distinction between who he is as Bruce Wayne, millionaire playboy, Bruce Wayne, the guy who lost his parents and went abroad and studied and beat the shit out of a bunch of, um, you know, prisoners and Batman, who then has to use this illusion and fear to get into his opponent's head and mask his own identity. And I think like Bale plays those three roles perfectly. Like I, it's like watching three different people act in these roles. I can't even speak how much I love Christian Bale's interpretation of Batman specifically in this movie. Yeah, he he really, I mean, yeah, you're right. He just knocks it out of the park on on every level. And and I guess yeah, well, we can talk about the Batman voice because I also think that in the Dark Knight it gets much more raspier. It does than yeah, it is sure. than this one. I think if it would have stayed at this level. I don't think it would have gotten the shit that some people have gotten it because that only started with the Dark Knight. For whatever reason, they they made a choice to, they made a choice because I remember when this movie came out, people raving about it and going crazy, and people mentioned the Batman voice, but not really like to the extent of when the Dark Knight came. Because we'll know next week when we watch the Dark Knight, it gets much more raspier. It does. If he would, they, I think they creatively they should have left it at this because this is perfect. I agree. Yeah, understand what it is. And I also took the Batman voice as him unleashing his rage for, for who sure. he, how he truly feels. Because it is a focal point of this film, mainly in Batman Begins, that Batman is his true face, like you had mentioned. Yes. That's his true face. Bruce Wayne is the mask. For sure. And I've said this for years. It's what I love about the character. It's like Bruce Wayne is absolutely the mask. The guy who, oh, I have models on my arms and uh, I've just bought your hotel. Like, that's not who he is. That's that's because Alfred said, you have to put this face forward. And he's like, all right, well, what, what do people like me do? Like, the reality of him is is Batman like that's who Bruce Wayne is at his core and I think like that's that's how it is in the comic book like I just but I think this movie really pushes that forward and makes it clear like no 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 the cape and cowl is his real face it's his face that's the mask yeah and that's where I think that's something that's really understanding the character this is David S. Goyer and Christian Bale and uh, Christopher Nolan really understanding Batman. Like even though you're doing it in a sure. real world setting, they understand the character like no other interpretation we've seen to date. I mean, we'll see in a few weeks with the Batman, but like this really drives that home. I think like no other interpretation before. Um, and you're right, Alfred has that scene. That's kind of why he he plays that up and creates a character of Bruce Wayne. But Alfred's worries about it because him not caring so much about it. It's still like the Wayne family, that name still holds some weight. Don't don't dismiss that. You still and I think that's what gets him to start. There's a, there's the Playboy version where is the mask, and then there is the real version, you know, even though Batman is the real Bruce Wayne, but we also get the in-between version that, yeah, you know, he also needs to respect himself and his family's name and, and everything else. And Rachel Dawes also mentions it at the end of the movie, where she's like 
she tells him like you know like i would you know the person who i loved never came back like the what the villains the criminals at night see is, is your real face yeah and i don't think it really clicks in bruce wayne's head until that moment he's like okay fair enough mm-hmm. and that's when she's like well you know i hope to see him one day when uh, when gotham no longer needs batman and that's a through line that goes on and throughout this entire trilogy, because that's a driving force behind Bruce Wayne's story in these films. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a note from Tim's book from the Spider-Man movies. Rachel Dawes is kind of a villain in these movies when it comes to Batman. Because she leads him on. She leads him on. Like when she in the end of this, right? When she goes well, I'm hoping one day he comes back, like you said, when the when Gotham City doesn't need the Batman. It's like uh, yeah, and then in the next movie, you're gonna say that's never gonna happen. So you're you're give up hope. It's like I don't know. Like you you know what's going on. Don't yeah. don't lead this guy. Don't 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 lead him on. He's obviously traumatized. He's dressing up in a rubber bat suit and fighting crime. No, you're right, and you don't want to fuck with that. <laughs> right, um, just sort of don't don't lead him on. Just be like, hey, look, you know what? We're friends. We're always gonna be friends. There's not going to be a romantic thing between us, but you know what? We're friends. Had this, that's how this movie ended. I'd have been like, all right, Rachel Dawes is doing, she's doing right by him. But she's like, no, maybe one day you'll come back. I'll wait for you, or maybe I won't. And and that's what the second one's about, too. Her maybe or maybe not waiting for him. Yeah, and then in Rises, he's still dealing with the aftermath of that and wondering, right. like, what if? Um. So I, the other things that I think that this movie, like, with Batman nails a lot, is, well, number one, he t- we see his 30th birthday. So he does become Batman when he's like 29, 30 years old. Yeah. Instead of like interpretations like Gotham when he becomes Batman when he's like 12. Um, right. Not- and I really, I really like that the fact that he was like 29, 30 in this because you actually, because it does belabor the, the, in a good way, the, the, the moments of how he went and studied. Like he goes, like he disappears. He gives his coat to a homeless man and goes away at, to a place where no one knows who he is. And he he commits crime against himself. So it's not really crime, which is his whole yeah. thing, because he owns it. And he mm-hmm. goes into prison. And like he's you actually believe that this incarnation of Batman took his 20s to make himself what Batman was going to be and then became it. And it's, it's like, that's the thing is like when you're, when you give me like a 20 year old Batman, I don't buy it because yeah. when did he train? Not, not to get into the whole, like I need to see the training, but it's like Batman is considered a, a leader of martial arts. One of the greatest detectives of all time. He's got all these skills. You need to hone those skills. And, and this movie actually says it doesn't doesn't give us every second of it, but it says, you know what? He's look. Here's a snippet of him honing these skills. Now you know where he got it. He's older. Let's get into this movie. And and I just wish more Batman interpretations took that and then ran with that. Yeah, and and that's another thing I wanted to talk about with this film is that we yeah you're right we see him training with the League of Shadows. He's found by Ra's al Ghul in a prison, you know, in the middle of fucking nowhere, and. <clears throat> He puts in the work and he learns all his skills that we see. He's pretty much trained as a ninja and is mm-hmm. and the like deception and and everything like that and what that's for. And again, becoming a symbol because he eventually chooses to become a symbol. He needs to be more than a man, so he can't be corrupt and he can't be right. can't be corrupted or ignored and something like that. He needs to be larger than life and like in his opponent's head. And that's where all of this comes in. This movie takes the time to explain how him and Alfred 
need to go ahead and order hundreds and thousands of, of pieces just so there's no tracking. Every little detail to Batman. Where does he get all these things? Lucius Fox. Yep. He goes into a pretty much defunct part of Wayne Enterprises, meets up with Lucius Fox, and that's where he gets his Batmobile. That's where he gets his suit. That's where he gets his... The cape has a purpose. It's the memory cloth and everything like that. You know, the spelunking thing. The interpretations he has with and with Lucius Fox are priceless. I love when Lucius Fox played by Morgan Freeman, which I always forget what a phenomenal cast this is. You... Morgan Freeman is Lucius Fox. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's perfect. But when he's like you know, spelunking again, huh? It's like just don't, and I'm paraphrasing. He's like, just look, don't treat me like an idiot. You know, I know you're not doing what you're telling me you're doing, and I'm not asking you. I'll do what you want because you're my boss, but don't pretend I'm stupid. I I love that moment. No, it's a great moment because that's another question. I think a lot of these Batman movies never addressed before or after is like where the hell do these things come from like it's not just right. bruce wayne and alfred sitting in a ca- in a room like building everything like which it was in the you know batman forever and batman and robin right yeah like alfred built all of those suits all 30 of them and no one's buying any of that crap like this no. was like no we're not we're not going that route so he has alfred and he has lucius fox and he has wayne enterprises at his disposal to get all this, and I just love the detail that this film takes to do that. And then there's a slowly uh, developing thing of the Batcave, and we find out about that. Like, a movie opens with him as a child playing with Rachel Dawes and falls down a well. He sees the bats, and then we get his first fear of... We get why a bat, for the Mm -hmm. first time really ever explained. Because he's scared of bats, and he wants to take that fear and put it into his opponents and the criminals that he's taking down and share his dread, as he says. And I'm like, oh my fucking genius. It's it's a beautiful moment. And this is like, it's heavily inspired by Batman Year One. I mean, for sure, because that's that was it in Batman Year One. I think that's really what solidified why the bat. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, because he has this moment of, they scare me. I want to share my dread. But the fact that it's done here... And you see why the bats scare him. And you see just... And, and the honest back and forth between him, uh, Batman and Alfred. And, and, like, honestly, the Batman-Alfred relationship is why I love these movies so much. It's actually why I defend the third one. And I will defend it when we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like I, like, I buy this Alfred is his dad. I buy these conversations. Like... I love Batman 89, but I never really bought that Alfred is like the guy who raised that particular Bruce Wayne. No, that's his, you know? that's his like partner in crime, kind of like his right. sidekick. That, that's how I saw it. Right. But in this, this Alfred is definitely the guy who raised this Bruce Wayne because they, they share certain like, like as you'll see it especially in the second one when you find that Alfred was in like the military and you get some some background for it. But you can completely see, yeah, this is the Alfred that raised this kid. Like you see those um, the the seeds of that, and I, I just I love their relationship so much. Yeah, and and Alfred played by Michael Caine this time around. Because I know Easy. I know you've always had an affinity for Michael Caine. As, I as love well. I love Michael Caine. I think like. That's the thing is Michael Caine, and, and I, I know that we've argued back and forth like that um, uh, the, the 
what's his name? I'm forgetting his name because I forget his name. Yes, thank you. That Jeremy Irons is the better Alfred. And I, I actually really love Jeremy Irons as Alfred, but Michael Caine's my Alfred, man. I, I just there's something fatherly and funny and serious. Like he's kind of the total package for me. Yeah, and, and I can I can say that I will when we are we finish our run of Batman films, we're gonna rank all of this. We'll rank Alfreds, we'll all rank Bruce Wayne oh, nice. and Batman separately, villains and all this other stuff. We'll get we'll do a whole uh, segment on that. But yeah, Michael Caine, this these movies have also reminded me of why I love Michael Caine as Alfred so much as well. So those rankings might be changing a little bit as time goes <laughs> on. Uh, plus I also want to give Andy Circus though his turn in the Batman because we haven't seen we don't know anything about his Alfred yet either. So No, we don't. We yeah, don't we'll and then, give him a fair shake. And that's the thing, that's an unknown. Like the reason I'm not including any of the Robert Pattons and stuff is because that's an unknown. I've only seen snippets here and there. Yeah, we know nothing about it. Yeah. Um I also mm. wanted to uh, I think it's a really important detail about this movie is that the times once he becomes Batman and he decides to suit up for the first time to take down Carmine Falcone. Mm, yeah. That Which... scene and another scene are phenomenal, but the way it's shot, and I saw this, I think it's on the extras of the, of the Blu-ray or whatever. Christian, uh, I mean, Christopher Nolan wanted to show this and shoot this from the villain's perspective for the first time. Wow, okay. Yes. So when you watch the, every time I watch those scenes, since I heard this interview, and I think I even may have heard something about this before I even watched the movie for the first time. So I was trying to see that. And you can see it is very different from the Batman that we've gotten before this. And after this, where he is like not, you don't see him barely at all. It's just night, dark, like people getting snatched and taken away and everything. Wow. Like that. Now, now you think about it, right? Think about that scene at the docks where you literally just see that people disappearing left and right because that's the villain's point of view until he busts through the top of the thing to grab Falcone. And, you know, he's like, he has his, I'm Batman line that he delivers but think about that for a minute the choice to show us batman from the villain's perspective and it carries out through this film because later on when people get the fear toxin and they see batman yeah they see him as like a monster yes and I you even have that moment where where scarecrow has that where like yep. he's his face is black and like it's oozing like like molasses yeah and and even the people, the other people in Gotham see him with like the fire eyes coming out of him yeah. and stuff. Like they see that dread and fear and anger that Bruce Wayne is is portraying through this whole thing. I think that's really telling of, of this Batman. Like people yeah. are scared shitless of him. Absolutely. And no, he is he's a friend. And that's the thing. This movie, right? I, I think I texted you, I think I told you this. So I I actually used to teach a graphic novel class. In, in high school and I did a whole unit on Batman because of course I did because it's I'm me and I love Batman and you can teach Batman it's all there uh, and I taught this movie twofold I taught it one uh, through the themes of different father figures and how different father figures can sort of get uh, a child to do different things because we have in this movie the Alfred father figure, who's the understanding, nurturing. The Thomas father figure, who's the legendary, uh, he died, and I put him on a pedestal. And 
the Ducard slash Rachel father figure who is like, I've taught you everything you know, and now you have to sort of prove your independence from me. So I've taught it through that. But also this movie is a treatise on what fear does to you and how people deal with fear. The whole movie is about dealing with fear. Batman takes his fear and puts it on the villains. You've got Falcone literally says, that's the power of fear. You know, like when when Bruce, Bruce comes to him and he's in his club and he's like, you see, there's a judge there. There's a cop there. What are you going to do? I can shoot you. It doesn't matter. That's the power of fear. And, and then you get Scarecrow as your villain, topped off by Ra- Ra's al Ghul and the, the League of Shadows, who are literally putting fear talks. Like this whole movie is a treatise on how fear fucks with us and how it affects our decision and all of that. So. Yeah, I just want to sort of sort of go yeah. into that little like uh, rant because it's again the reason I love this movie so much is the psychological aspect it gives us. No, and that's one of the strengths of this film. Another other thing I wanted to touch on with, with Batman uh, in this film is we also get some great lines between him and Alfred when there's the whole "Have you given up on me?" or "Still haven't given up on me?" and Alfred's never. like "Never," and he said it happens twice <laughs> in the film, and and both. Like touching moments, like really, you know, moments where Bruce is really down, and yeah. it really reinvigorates him. And also, what he tells Gordon at the end of the movie when Gordon's like, "I didn't say thank you," and he turns back and he's like, "And you never will." And I'm like, "This this guy is just the fucking man." Yep. And Thomas Wayne also his line to Bruce, you know, and Alfred reiterates it. You know, why do we fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves back up. And these are through lines throughout the film. That I think are you know that really, really you know just like are the backbone of it, um, and there's also one scene where we get like his first mask scene of Bruce Wayne where he's got the uh, the two women with the pool and stuff and he buys the hotel and everything and he's walking out and when he's talking to Rachel and I thought he, I got a lot of Pat Bateman from Christian Bale I, in, in that scene as completely. well. Completely, me too. Yeah, I, I definitely sensed a lot of that. Um, I definitely think when he plays asshole Bruce Wayne, he's channeling Pat Bateman here. Like, yeah. it's not like, I'm not going to bring women home and murder them and, and make hungry rats eat them out from the <laughs> inside, which happens in the book, guys. I've read the book. It's it's horrific. <laughs> um, but he's definitely like that glib, shallow, like, I'm putting, this is, I'm putting on a show. And I think he's definitely channeling that. I think... It's why his performance works so much. Yeah, it's it's very layered. It's a pretty complex performance that, that he yeah, gives. For sure. Um, and I guess the other spots on all uh, these things on I wanted to touch on was his relationship with Gordon in these films is much more front and center than it is in the previous incarnations. Because Agreed. there's barely any screen time with Gordon in any of the Tim Burton films or Joel Schumacher films, I don't know, or even like 66, it's played up more as like, you know, Gordon's just this yeah. like pretty shitty cop in a way who keeps on yeah, calling Gordon, down. Gordon's not a real character in those movies. Gordon's kind yeah. of like just a, a means to an end, get Batman in here. Like I actually thought Pat Hengel in the first one was fine. Yeah. But but like again, he's not really a he's not really a character, but this, I mean, you get uh uh, God, uh, Gary Oldman 
who's a phenomenal character actor, and he looks exactly like Jim Gordon from like the Batman uh, Year One, which is what this is really from. And actually, you've—I know you've read Batman Year One because yes. I borrowed it from you. That's how that's how I've read it. Um, and like he, Gordon is actually the main character of Batman Year One. It isn't even Batman. That's the yeah. amazing part. Um, and so the fact that, like, of course they couldn't make Gordon the main character of this because this is a feature film called Batman and we have expectations, but the fact that they were able to keep intact just what a realistic character he is and how important he is to the, the whole evolution of Batman, I think is is just brilliant. And Gary Oldman is just perfect. Like, I love uh, J. John and Jameson as um, as commissioner gordon you know don't get me wrong i i i'm excited to see more of him but i don't think we're gonna get any more perfect than this no gary oldman crushes it yeah in, in, in these films and he's sergeant gordon when we meet him in this and he has a lot to do with it he works alongside batman even at the end of the film when he's driving the batmobile and everything like that mm -hmm. and you know he has to do that whole thing so yeah and you get to their relationship because he we also get introduced to jim gordon with a young Bruce Wayne putting the coat around him, which that gets called back to in two movies later. Right. Yeah. No, and actually, again, it's one of the reasons I defend the third one on an emotional level, because, you know, when Jim Gordon finds out who Batman is and that, and, you know, he thinks that Batman's dead, he remembers that. Like it, it matters. That moment matters. And I think in this movie, in these movies, because again, this is Christopher Nolan. This isn't Christopher Nolan saying, all right, I'm just going to make a Batman movie and, and and endorse my check. This is Christopher Nolan going, you want to make a Batman movie and do it my way. I'm going to focus on the emotions and, and the relationships that matter to me. And he does that. And because of that, we get such a rich relationship like again we i talked about father figures before jim gordon is another father figure for batman in these movies in a way that he isn't really in the comic book yeah no you're right yeah so he has three and four in this film he has thomas wayne because that there's much more focus on thomas versus martha wayne yes. in, in the in this in this trilogy T thomas why did you say that name <laughs> And he, yeah, we, we get to see the death of the Waynes, and it is well done in, in this film. It is. It uh, is. Yeah, it, it's arguably the best version that we've seen of it, uh, which, whatever, we've seen a lot of it. But, uh, you know, the BVS version, it's shot in slow motion, of course, because it's Zack Snyder, and that's what he does, a lot of it. And it looks really cool, and I love the actors playing the Waynes and stuff, and that's all great. But this is more involved in the story to really set yes. things in, into motion so i think that's why i think this one works very well for me um so he has thomas wayne he has alfred he has jim gordon and he mm -hmm. has the other next character yes. i'll talk about is like you mentioned Ra's al ghul played by liam neeson here who ironically saw liam neeson's latest action movie taken how like, was that 90, it sucked Oh, oh, damn it! Yeah, black. <laughs> yeah, listen. Short version: Blacklight is is bad. It's not Liam Neeson's fault. It's just a terribly yeah, right. directed and written movie. I listen. Me and Angie have a thing where anytime Liam Neeson comes out with these movies, which we call taken movies, we just go see it. We don't care. We just yeah. love seeing Liam Neeson be badass. 
You have to. Look, I own Taken on Blu-ray because every now and then I just want to watch Liam Neeson kill a bunch of sex traffickers. <laughs> yes. And when I got home, Taken 2 was on last night. So I just nice. started watching it. Um, but yes, actually, and Angie had mentioned something to me after we were walking out of the theater. She goes, not this movie, but I really don't like seeing Liam Neeson as the bad guy. Which this is one of the rare films we see him as like the villain. Even yes. though he doesn't think he is. But that's why he's so good, because yeah. yes, he's he's the villain. He's Batman's villain, yeah, for sure, right? Mm -hmm. But is he evil? Is like his? I'm not saying it's cool to condemn a place, of a city to death and and rebuild. Like you know, so sort of certainly his methods aren't aren't above board or evil. But like the League of Shadows, whole thing is. Look, when Rome gets bloated, you have to gut it and clean out, cleanse out the toxins, you know. Mm -hmm. And and Gotham City's a piece of shit, guys. I mean, I'm sorry, but it is. I love Batman, but especially this Gotham City. Like this Gotham City is like, yeah, my father tried to do all this, and then he was murdered, and then we just got this this monorail which has gone to waste, and like, I I don't. I don't think Liam Neeson and League of Shadows are right, but I don't think they're wrong either. Like, I'm not willing to say he's, like, the 100% villain here. Yeah. No, no, you're right. He is Batman's villain, and we, we, we do get a lot of that. And you're right. They're, they're playing. He's leading the League of Shadows. He trains Batman. They're very close. He even right. says in the film, you are my best student. You should be right yep. by my side right now. And his comeback is also great, though. Bruce is just like... Listen, I'm right where I should be between you and the people of Gotham. And that's where you're yes. like, you know it's title fight time. Like, it's it's yep. about to go down now. Um, but, Lee, I mean, Liam Neeson's fucking awesome. He's an incredible actor. He's awesome in this role. He's he, amazing. He crushes it. And you do feel like he mentions his family. He's like, I wasn't always in the woods. And, you know, mm -hmm. that also comes back because we do meet Tali Agul eventually. So then there's a callback. There is a very there are strong connections throughout these these three films, which I think sure. is really cool. Like watching this again, you get to see the start of a lot of it. Also, uh, reminds you of a lot of it. Um, but he his training montage with Bruce, I think, is really strong part when he's like, "You never mind your surroundings and stuff like that," and that gets called back at the end of the movie. Yep. It's amazing, and I think it's amazing too when he calls out like, "Your father was weak." Because he's trying to sort of get that emotional thing, the, the emotional response. And again, with the theme of different fathers, right? Yeah. Like, I, I'm i your strong father. That was your imaginary, you know, father on the pedestal was weak. And that was a beautiful moment. The whole, and, and I've actually looked this up. This is bullshit. It's, don't, don't do this if you're ever actually freezing to death. But, you know, but like the warm your arms and the body will take care of themselves. Like, that that doesn't happen, but but it's a, it's a cool moment. It's an awesome moment. Yeah, well, you say no. It always says warm your chest. The arms will oh, take it. care of themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it is. But I yeah. but it, like that's that's a miss. Like that's not true. That no. like they just made that up in the writing. But but it but it's such a great moment. And there are so many great moments with Liam Neeson. Like you know, like I don't think when I saw this movie in the theater, I ever believed he was a good guy. But I was still surprised by the outcome at the end, you know, and that I think that's his performance. Yeah. 
Like, I don't I don't know if I thought he was Ray Shagul or not. I don't remember because I've seen this movie a hundred times. Like, Same. like you have no I saw that I watched this last night, and you have no idea how hard it was for me not to go, well, might as well just watch the trilogy. Because that's what I do now. I just watch the trilogy together. Um, but regardless if I knew that or not, like his his performance is so nuanced and he's obviously a villain. But I, I was really taken aback by the fact that he was the like the villainous moments he has. It was mm-hmm. like I didn't expect it. No. And yeah, that, that whole thing comes and he you know, he calls out Bruce for, you know, taking his theatrics literally when he sees him that. as Batman the first time. Yep. He's toying with him in the party at the birthday party, I thought was really a really strong, powerful scene as well. Um and he Bruce, you know, pretends he's drunk and sends everybody away and oh, pretty I much love that. Weeds out the League of Shadows. And I and I cool. I love that because it's again, it's the mask, right? Like I've got to get rid of these people. It doesn't matter if they like me. I'm I you know what? Bruce Wayne's here not to like. So it's like, oh, all of the sycophants, and everyone laughs. He's like, no. I'm serious, you bunch of sycophants. Get out of here. Not a joke. Leave. Yes, it's (laughs) it's not a joke. Leave. I love it. It's like it's so good. And and Liam Neeson just sort of like, and this again is a great moment for the character. Like, yeah, he could have killed everyone, he could have done whatever he wanted, but he stood there with his hands behind his back, watching to see what Bruce Wayne did, letting him do it. Like there's there's a respect between these characters, even though they are on opposite sides, that I appreciate, and that is really shown in how the fact that Liam Neeson lets him let those people go. He could have easily yeah. killed everyone. Yeah, because he ultimately is plan is to, of course, throw the fear toxin in the water. Right. And you know, again, we joked. You you've made plenty <laughs> of jokes about this is what <laughs> Batman villains do. They throw shit in Gotham's water. Shit happens, and this is just the latest one. Every single time. <laughs> um, yeah, but he also says as much because he's like, listen, you saved me. You set my house on fire, right? But you, I do, you gave him a respect of saving me. I'm going to do the same for you. And that's when that the wood falls on Bruce. Yeah. And actually, Alfred has that great line with him. He's like, what are all those push-ups for? You can't even push a log. Love it. For yourself. And I, I love that scene. He just looks at him like, you fucking serious? Like, yep. and, there's, and, and gets it off of him. Because um, you know Alfred runs over and Alfred, you know Alfred's thinking, "Can I lift this?" No, I can't. Nope. Well, what I it, it's sort of like that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns and Smithers are riding the bicycle built for two, uh-huh. and Smithers gets the bee in his eye, <laughs> and he's very allergic to bees. And Burns goes, "Well, how can I get you to the hospital? Well, I can't pedal. What can I do? Go, go, you cephalopod! You just continue <laughs> like that's what it was like. It's like, oh, what I can do is get you to do the work." Yeah, pretty much. So I got you. You're going to get yourself out of this shit. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I do want to point out that I think uh, Ray Shagul misspeaks here. Because Ray Shagul says, I am going to do give you the courtesy you gave to me. A bur- you lit my house on fire and left me for dead. Mm-hmm. He didn't leave him for dead. He say, he literally, saved Ray Shagul the only one he saved. Yeah, like leaving him for dead would have been to leave him in the mountains. He literally carries this motherfucker down on his back, like leaving Bruce Wayne in a fiery wreck with wood on his back. 
not exactly what Bruce Wayne did to him. No. He's the villain. I'll I'll give it to him. Just want to point that out. <laughs> no, it, it's true. Um, yeah, so we find out Ra's al Ghul, of course, you know, in the League of Shadows, infiltrated Gotham into every single level. And they also got a hold of Jonathan Crane, played by Cillian Murphy, who was Scarecrow in this film. Yep. Who the visuals of when people have his fear toxin and they look at him is fucking crazy. It is. It is. They are nuts every single time. And I, I really enjoyed that, even though he, he's important to the film and he we find that he keeps popping up randomly throughout the, the trilogy. Uh, it pops up in the beginning of The Dark Knight and then again in The Dark Knight Rises. Yep. He, has a, he literally has a cameo in that. Um, but I also really like this Scarecrow for, for what he is. I mean, he's torturing his patients. He's doing experiments on them with the spear toxin. He has the spray and everything like that. The mask looks really cool. And I think that my favorite scene in his is when uh, Rachel Dawes and the, and the kid that, uh, that she saves, when they see him, he's got the horse and he's like breathing fire and shit. Yep. And he's talking about what is fear, but fear itself and all, nothing's a fear. And then she just like shocks him. And then he's like, Aah! and then he kind of just like runs away in the horse. I think it's great how it goes. It's so intimidating to like just account. No, I, I absolutely love that. And then that's, again, that's that's what his character is, right? Yeah. He's not a strong guy. He's not a powerful guy. He deals in fear. And if yeah. you can cut through his fear, he'll run away. He's he's not a powerful, like, entity. No. But the fact, and, and that that's that moment, right? Because the, the horse is, like, spewing fire from its face. And he's, like, and she shoots it and he runs away. It's the last you see of him uh, in the in the movie. Um, but I, I, I have to admit, like, this is my, this and the animated series, this is my, like, Scarecrow. I love it. Like Over Titans. Oh, no, that's different. Oh, I no. Say, I don't know, uh, Titans. No, no, Titans is my Scarecrow. I yeah, no, but no, second. So it, but, but this is still great. Like, this awesome. is still great. Yeah. I just forgot about tit- Titans for a second and that, how brilliant uh-huh. their Scarecrow was. Uh-huh. But but um, I love the fact that he's a psychiatrist. I like, and he even says, "I'm the Jungian archetype of fear." Like they, again, this is uh, Nolan going, "Yeah, I, I'm I'm using symbolism. This is a fucking movie, guys. I'm doing yeah. cinema here with Batman." Um, and I love the scene where he puts the mask on at first and he poisons Falcone because he has that whole he has this great like monologue, like yeah. I know I'm just a smart guy, or I'm just a small guy, and you don't really fear me. But he puts the mask on, shoots him, and he's like, "But fear this!" And it's and again, this this whole movie is about wielding fear. Who has it? How can you use it? And yeah. and this is a psychiatrist gone wrong wielding fear against his patients. Like, oh god, I just love this movie so much. <laughs> you know, you know what actually skipped my mind that we get Victor's ass. Yes, that's of, right. I kind of forgot about it, and you do see the the scars around yes. his neck and everything like that. So, I mean, he doesn't get to do a lot, but we do get Victor's as the, the acknowledgement that he exists. I thought was really cool. I I thought so too. Yeah, because he's we get him twice, right? We get him. He's on trial at some point. That's like uh, Crane's first um, patient, mm-hmm. and then we see him being released at the end. Yeah, uh, which yeah, I thought it was awesome. 
Batwoman is still my Victor's ass, by the way. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> wow. Uh, you want to know something? I'll say that that's definitely fair because this Victor's ass barely even has any lines. I don't even know. Yeah, no, he doesn't do much. So he doesn't it, do much. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, it's not a slight of this movie at all. I would never slight this movie. <laughs> no, not at all. It's fine. It's an Easter egg, if anything. As a matter of fact, I'm, may I defend something that people attack this movie about all the time? Sure. Okay, so because we talked about Batman, we talked about Ra's al Ghul, so it's important. So a lot of people say, well, Batman doesn't kill. Then Batman says he's not going to kill Ra's al Ghul, but he's not going to save him, and that means Batman killed him. That That's an argument that gets made. Wow. So I'm going to say this, that I actually have uh, read an essay <clears throat> using uh, philosophical thoughts um, that was written about why Batman hasn't killed the Joker. Right. And the whole argument is if Batman kills the Joker, it means he would stop the Joker from killing, you know, his next five victims or whatever it is that he would kill. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole thought experiment in philosophy of if you were standing on a, like a train platform and a train was about to hit four people and you were able to throw the switch and move it to another track, but it would kill one person. Would you do it? And the whole thought experiment is by not acting, you're allowing four people to die, but you're not taking their life. Their choices and the choice of the train made that happen, right? But yeah. if you make the choice to switch it, you are actively killing one person. Huh. That is the logic that goes on here. Because Batman did not put Ra's al Ghul on that train. Ra's al Ghul's actions put him on that train. Yeah. He did not put any of that together. All Batman does is go, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to switch switch the train and kill you and be responsible for your death. However, I'm going to passively leave and your death is your own fault. So the people who say that he kills Ra's al Ghul here, he doesn't. He allows Ra's al Ghul's actions to kill him in the end without interfering. And it goes back to that whole um, thought experiment with philosophy. Just wanted to throw that out there because I wanted to defend this movie in every aspect I could. You're, And I'm 100% with you on that. I, I mean, Ray Shagul could have still found the way out. You did give him he a chance. And, it would have been very difficult, but still. But And had Ray Shagul not decided to poison Gotham and try to destroy it, he never would have found himself on that train that killed him. Batman didn't put him there. Correct. Correct. Um, so I guess then, then, um, yeah, what else, let's see, what other characters can we hit on with this? Uh, um, do we need, do we hit Rachel Dawes? We don't really need to hit her much, right? Like, I mean, we, we've covered Rachel Dawes, um, uh, we've covered Dawes, we've covered Gordon. Yeah. You know, we, we've covered, um, the death of the Waynes and everything like that. So I think the, I guess the last thing to, to, by the way, other things to talk about with this before we get to the ending, because the ending I, I really want to talk about. Mm -hmm. is I love the Batmobile. The Tumblr in this movie is fucking crazy. It's, it's awesome. intimidating. It's what I would want as if I was Batman. I mean, that whole cloaking scene when the lights shut off and he goes into stealth mode is sick. Awesome. I mean, even when he goes into like the lay down mode thing and he like fires those missiles and stuff, that's really cool. So I love the Batmobile in this film. And where he gets it from, any explanation, like that's that's great. Jumping off rooftops and all the other shit. Love that. Love the suit in this film. Again, I just love the explanation of how it comes to be. 
the details sure. is sure. where this crushes it for me. And um, it makes sense. Like this, this isn't my favorite aesthetic Batmobile because I, yeah. I like 66 and I like 89. Those are my two favorite Batmobiles aesthetically, but this is the real life Batmobile. Like, yeah, it, this is, it, it's not a Batmobile. It was a tank. It was like, you know, or a tank like vehicle that just wasn't profitable enough to make for the government. Right. And, mm -hmm. but of course this like, of course this Batman would have this kind of Batmobile because he's not like looking for a Batmobile that looks like the Batmobile. He's looking for a vehicle that will allow him to do what he needs to do on the streets. And again, just the choices made for the realistic Batman. It's like, even if it's not my favorite, it's still the best choice they could have made. I will also say that if the Tumblr, if you're driving this, you would run over the 66 Batmobile in oh, two really? seconds and crush it <laughs> and just keep moving along. So it's by you the way, notice. No. I mean, 89 Batmobile can throw up its shields and maybe have a chance to knock it <laughs> pancaked. But that's where this Batmobile just wins over for me because it's just like, it's a fucking tank. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I love it. Um, what else? Also, uh, I guess also we could talk about the theme, which we opened up with, mm. you know, the, the, the Hans Zimmer theme of this. It, like, it gets you hyped up and gets you, like, ready to go. I mean, it's, I admit, it's close to being my favorite Batman theme, but it's not quite it. Batman 89's Danny Elfman's theme still kind of wins over for me uh, as the yeah. iconic Batman That's theme. That's it. But this is awesome. This, this is, is awesome. really, really well done. Um, and I guess that takes us to the end of the film, which I honestly think is one of the best setups for a sequel I've ever gotten because I wasn't even thinking about it. I still remember when I first saw this film in theater. I'm watching it. I'm enjoying it. I'm like, holy shit, man. This is so fucking cool. And all of a sudden we get the scene with Jim Gordon and they created Amazing. a, they created a, a bat signal based on yep. him putting Falcone on it, yes. that, which I love the inspiration of it. It wasn't just like, Batman showed up one day and was like, hey, guys, use this thing if you want to call me one day. Right. Which I'm not and, and knocking the 89 movie for doing, because they do say that's what fine. happened. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But but this, again, this is the realistic Batman. So Batman puts Falcone on there as a symbol, right? He's not yeah. trying – he's not saying, hey, call me. He's saying, fuck y'all. Batman is here. Look upon me and, and quiver – because I am so powerful and, and you know, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of fear again, like this movie brokers in fear. And it, it's Gordon who goes, we put this together. Well, it's not a mobster tied here, but it gets yeah. the job done. And, and it even gives the, the sort of idea that Gordon's not saying where this is for us to call you. Gordon is saying, this is for us to strike fear into the heart of the criminals and if you come, you come. If not, not. And and that kind of yeah. is it in the the comic book too. Like there are so many comic books I've read where Gordon runs and he's like, "Yeah, he's not coming tonight." But you got to run it. You know, you got to you got to let people see it and, and be afraid of it. Yeah. Um, and I just love that that it's Gordon's idea. It's not about getting Batman there. It's about the fear in the criminals' hearts. Um, and that caps out this movie perfectly, which is a movie about again fear, which I keep bringing back to because. Uh, that's what it is. And the, the conversation that they have where he's just like, listen, you know, like, you know, escalation. You know, you yes. jumping off rooftops, wearing a suit, wearing a mask and everything like that. And, and they're having this whole conversation, which one I still remember, like, when that was happening, you're like, oh, shit. Like, where are they going with this? 
because now you know he's referring to in my mind mm -hmm. i'm thinking suddenly oh, oh yeah that's right batman's fucking rogues gallery is going to keep expanding and then he's like well take for instance this guy robs banks goes it leaves a calling card once he hands him that plastic bag of evidence with the mm. fucking card i was like oh my god it's happening and he flips it over and it's a fucking joker card and this whole thing of just like i'll look into it's amazing it. it's amazing Oh, and, and this was literally the end of Batman Year One. Yeah, like that is the it uh, like it's the literal end of it, and I love it so much. I remember seeing this in the theater, going, "Oh, oh!" Like I was like, "Oh, this is so <laughs> subtle, but it's not subtle, but it's perfect." Like it was just so perfectly done. And I texted you last night, and this this is the question I want to pose to our audience, right? Because I never thought of this before, mm -hmm. but. Was the Joker an inmate in Arkham turned free, like let go by the uh, the, the League of Shadows, and then j driven crazy by the fear toxin? Like, because we don't know where he came from. We just know that this movie happened, and then all of a sudden there's a Joker type thing. So, like, was the Joker someone who was a an inmate who was driven even crazier by this fear toxin, and literally? Batman is kind of responsible for him. That that was kind of my question as I was watching it. That and that's something I admittedly have never thought about, but it sounds like something I I could I could buy into that. I can run with that, and I'm glad we don't know for sure because Me too. as we'll talk about next week, that Joker we don't know shit about because nope. he gives his own origin story like three times, and they're all contradicting. And yes. we don't know what which one to believe. And I like the fact that it's not explained. Yeah, and we don't same know here. So. And because it's in line with the killing joke, which I'm gonna make a very, very big argument next week that that movie is heavily inspired by the killing joke, even though the plot is very different. Mm -hmm. Um because in the killing joke, the comic book, the when the Joker literally says, like yeah, I don't really always remember my past. So when I do, I like it to be multiple choice, which is to say that no one knows where he comes from, not even him. And so the fact that they didn't even try to like tell us where he came from, they just gave us different accounts because it's A, B, or C. You choose which one you like. Yeah, perfect. But I, I will, I will get into um, filleting that movie next week, <laughs> <laughs> which. Truth be told is what I'm going to do, because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I can't disagree with you on that at all. But I just think that I just wanted to put some more respect on Batman Begins' his name, because I kind of feel like it gets overshadowed by The Dark Knight. Agreed. And it is awesome. This is a Batman movie, which is something that we don't get a lot of, even mm -hmm. though he's in the title and he appears in a lot of films. This movie, its main character is by far Batman. And for sure, it's it's really something to behold. It really and it's is. it's not just the main character is Batman, and this is I think this is the key. The main character is Bruce Wayne as well. Yes, like it's like I love Batman eighty nine, but Batman eighty nine is about Batman. Yeah. We don't really care about Bruce Wayne in that. Same thing with Rich an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with uh with the Kilmer movie, and the same thing with the Clooney movie. Like. You know, but I think, th and, and that's just how we did superhero movies back then. So it's, I'm mm -hmm. not shitting on any of it. Like, you know, we used to do superhero movies where we go, who are we interested in? We're interested mm -hmm. in the guy in the in the makeup and, and the guy in the outfit. So let's just do that. 
But I think this movie is the first to go, no, I think we're interested in the psychology of what what put makes this person put that outfit on. And that's this movie. Like Bruce Wayne slash Batman is the main character. And that's important to say because we've never gotten that before. Yeah. All right. So that pretty much kind of wraps it up for our rewatch and our Batman uh, Begins episode. Uh, didn't want it really to ever. And we could probably talk about this for another 10 hours I, if we really wanted to. I could continue on about how much I love this movie so much. I, I am sure there's like half of my notes I didn't even get to. It doesn't matter. Uh, but like, all I'm going to say is this. If, if you are listening to this and you don't watch this movie and you like comic book movies and you like Batman, what are you even doing, man? Just 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 go watch it right now. It's great. Yeah, it still holds up very, very well. I mean, it's, it's crazy when I thought about it. I'm like, holy shit, this movie is like fucking 15, 16 years old at this point. But it, when you rewatch yeah. it, it's it's like... It, it, can come, it can come out today, and you'd be like, yeah, I, I get it. And that's the thing, too. We didn't even get into how good this movie looks because Christopher Nolan is a masterful director. We didn't get into how well the action and the CGI the, 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 that they use holds up. Like, you're right. I watched this last night on my computer, so it wasn't even a huge screen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like I, normally I watch stuff while I'm playing my Switch. I put it down. I'm like, I'm just going to watch all this. And it... It holds up. I, I forgot it was 15 years old. My God. Yeah. Like, because I, it it looks like it literally, it looks better than movies that come out today. For sure. It's just so, so well done. So, yeah, if your thing is you wanted a gritty Batman and stuff like that, I mean, we get a lot of them now. But this is like the original, well, not the original, because if you want to say Batman 89 is, but this takes it to another level. Yeah. This takes it to another level. Right. So go check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, so we'll be back next week. We're actually going to be on next Friday night. Next Friday. So no Saturday afternoon. We'll be doing a Friday night show, uh, 8.30 as usual. You and guys know what happened on Friday. There's a lot of dancing that goes on Friday. So <laughs> who the hell knows what's going to happen. I don't know what gets into us on Friday. So come check it out. We'll be talking about The Dark Knight, a film which a lot of people will say that is one of their best films that they've ever seen. It's it is a film that some will say is the best comic book movie ever made. It's the best Batman movie ever made. So we, we will break it down and, and talk about it. Uh, we'll also be talking about the season finale of Peacemaker as well. I'm sad to see so, it go. So am I. So we got a pretty big show for next week, even though CW's off again. So that's what we'll be talking about. And if any other trailers drop this week, we'll be talking about that. Um, so... Yeah, if you liked what you heard today, go ahead and if you're joining us on Facebook, join the Granny's Peach Tea Facebook group as well as the Pop Culture Pros Facebook group. You know, there's a lot of cool shit that we talk about on a regular basis and information and stories that we don't really get to talk about on the show. There's a lot of cool dialogue. You can check out Jason's uh, uh, quit, you know, go ahead. He's taking a poll there. What was your favorite Batman? So you can go ahead and participate in that and drop, a, drop us a comment on why that is the case. Um yeah, we also got a lot of other cool shows on Pop Culture Pros. If you're on YouTube, hit subscribe button and check out all the other cool shows. Same thing on Twitter. Follow Pop Culture Pros. Follow along. Check them all out. Same thing on Instagram or podcast. Uh, Jason and I also do a James Bond podcast called Double O Deep Dive. And uh, we'll be back yes. next Wednesday, which is ironically our usually our Granny's PC time slot. Which we will be getting back to eventually, but on Wednesday, what are we getting into? We're doing uh, Die Another Day, the 
Pierce Brosnan, the last Pierce Brosnan movie in the uh, his run. It is a very dicey one. A lot of people love. There are some people who love it. There are some people who hate it. Uh, it, it gets a bit ridiculous. Madonna's involved. Um, I I have to admit that I'm. I think I might like this movie. I, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't watched it again. But I I might start. I I might be one of those people who are like, yeah, I really like this. But um, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm gonna rewatch it. You guys should join us next uh, Wednesday at eight thirty uh on the network if you haven't uh subscribed if you haven't uh liked the double o deep dive page please do so we have a lot of good good stuff there i put some polls out there um ed who is our q branch puts a lot of uh information about uh different james bond movies we've just gotten james bond uh nominated for an academy award can you believe yeah. it visual effects up against, up against spider-man no way home which is amazing. And Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So is, our, our worlds are crossing over. It's crossing over. I don't think it should win, but I'm happy it's there. <laughs> Agreed. So go ahead. If you're into Bond, you can come check us out on Double O Deep Dive along with uh, with Ginny. And we also have two other guests, my, from my understanding, as well. Uh, no, they're actually, we're, oh. they're going to join us later on. So we're okay. not going to have guests this week. Uh, uh, yeah. No, 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 no. That's, that's me. It, it was a last-minute thing. So it's just going to be you, me, and Ginny as usual. All right, so check that out. If you're into wrestling, you can check out Tim and Eric on uh, the Just Too Sweet show. You can also see them on the A to Z show on Friday nights. They did a late night show last night, so check out the latest episode. And uh, they cover everything from Aunt May to General Zod. Yes. That that (laughs) might be my favorite one so far. That might be my favorite one. yeah, if you're into uh, if you're into football, you can check out the Unsportsmanlike Conduct show. I think there might be one more show after the Super Bowl before that wraps up for the season. Uh, hopefully, the damn baseball lockout ends and we can start on time. So, if you're a Yankees fan, you can check me and Lisa out on the uh, Empire One Six One show, and you can check out Farachi and Rodriguez and Keith. They do the Put It in the Book show. Uh, if you're into Star Wars, there was a Book of Boba Fett finale that I may be joining Tim for. So you can check nice. out shooting the Sith. So that should be that's a lot of fun, um, and that's pretty much that. So pop culture pros everywhere. We will see you next Friday night for the Dark Knight and the Peacemaker finale. Uh, everyone, have a enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Swear to me.